All right, welcome back to the I Am Nerd Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway. I'm here with my co-host, Ken Chan. Hi. And today we have a special guest, a returning guest, uh, Stango, Kenny's cousin, actually, his younger cousin, who we had on before because he is or was one of the best Smash Bros. Melee players in the world, ranked, I think, as high as like 32nd, 33rd, something like that. Oh, he um, actually got it, 32. 32, yes. He was top 32 in the entire world of Melee, and if you don't know, that game is extremely competitive and very, very difficult to play from a technical standpoint, and it keeps evolving, and it's 20 years old. And so to be that accomplished in that game is not easy. And trust me, I've tried, but I realized that I could not do both Yu-Gi-Oh!, and Smash Bros and be good at them both. And I don't like sucking at something. So I gave up on Melee completely and pursued Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, but Stango, he went on to have great success in that. And recently he was invited to Smash PM. Uh, they have a summit tournament and it's invitation only. Um, and you can qualify for it through votes, I believe, right? Yeah, so the first phase of it is... Um community voting and then the second phase of it is crowdfunding yes so did you have to do anything crazy to get in i remember you were very close to being invited through votes or whatever and i think that you mentioned something about maybe shaving your head or showing your asshole or dying it or something like that whoa <laughs> you gonna yeah. lose your asshole like kanye was <laughs> thankfully there was no bleached assholes okay. um but uh yeah it was uh it was pretty stressful um when it came to like the voting phase in itself it kind of went through a breeze i kind of you know gathered up some connections from my melee days mm-hmm. from other uh, content creators and like yo internet. i ever I-, I had people i had people who don't even know who you are voting i was like listen just go here do this i'll suck your dick and they did it i didn't <laughs> suck your dick though. okay yeah <laughs> he has a lot of dicks to catch up on yeah they're going um to yeah, in terms of uh, in in terms of the the, the stress that it comes, because uh, to kind of give uh, context to it, uh, summit style events are in the grand scheme of melee's history a relatively new thing. It's probably been happening for the last six years now or so, but the game is really old, as Fraser said. It's about twenty years old at yeah. this point in terms of its competitive Over lifespan. But when it came to summits, I actually qualified to pretty much uh, so. To give background, to qualify for a summit to even be considered to be voted in through the crowd, um, like the uh, community voting, where there's no money, it's just pretty much click a button to vote this guy in. You have to place pretty high at some events, which I did uh, one of the years back in 2017, 2018, I want to say. Right. Um, I did really well that year, and that was kind of like part of my uh, rise as a player where I was getting ranked wins. I was getting good placements. I was uh, definitely coming to my own in terms of my uh, player aptitude. So, so that year quick, was, mm-hmm. you can only get be qualified to even be voted on if you're a known player, basically is what you're saying, right? Yeah. In a sense, yeah, uh, you I have didn't... to pretty much get like a top 64 placement at one of the big majors right. or so, nationals of that year. So any random Joe Schmo can't just be like, well, I got enough votes because I'm popular some way. Yeah, or, or they actually fun. for the very first summit, I believe there wasn't that requirement. And there was actually a pretty big problem where there was actual random Joe Schmo in, yeah. in top five. Um, but they actually just like right. said, no, that's so that's not happening. Here's Kevin Garnett at the PM. Yeah, like some random person that just 
is not known for Smash, not known for PM, and somehow made it in because they have oh, internet connection. Well, I'm referring to uh, my run for Melee to kind of give context to, okay. to the stressfulness of campaigning for a summit event. Yeah. So to cut to the chase, I placed well that you're getting really good. So I'm like, summit's coming up. I qualified to be nominated. I'm going to campaign. Got my friends, got my region. I get in, right? I get the vote in. Yep. So now it's money time. And this is the really tough part because the region that I came from, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, East Coast, but not really. Poverty. Pennsylvania really hasn't been considered East Coast as far as a region for pretty much what? the entirety of Smash. Because not East Coast, Tri-State in particular. Tri-State okay. is like the is like the is like the uh, not East Coast. Yeah, I meant to say Tri-State. Tri-State's yeah. like kind of the uh, conglomerate of like the region in the East in the yes, Northeast. Everybody knows for Smash, even including Ultimate. You hear Tri-State over everything. Tri-State versus everybody. I actually see Spargo wearing that hoodie sometimes uh, last year. I was like, what the fuck? Who gave him that? He's from Mexico. He has a Tri-State versus everybody hoodie on. <laughs> like, who's <laughs> yeah. this little Mexican kid in this gangster-ass hoodie? So Tri-State mainly compri- uh, is built of New York, New Jersey, and then the definition kind of stretches to uh, Connecticut a lot of the time. Uh, okay. At least it did more so for Melee during this era, I would say. Yeah. Um, things are a little different now. Like, Pennsylvania has a lot of strong players now, so Tri-State is kind of stretching to that us. definition well, of PA. Yeah, yeah. Tri-State always includes PA. All right, y'all can't let you can't just like <laughs> drop us off just because we're listen. Okay, relax. And here's the <laughs> other thing: it's not our fault. All of our good players either become coaches, commentators, or just leave. Scar, Cactuar, Eggum, Eggum. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame yeah. us. And I don't know many good players. There's a Meta Knight player in Ultimate um, from Philadelphia, I believe. And I'm pretty sure that's it for our city slash region. And then the rest of it, like Tweak is in Jersey. And he's yeah. Tri-State, of course. He's like top three players in the world. Maybe top five now. Uh, but definitely up there in that top five echelon of all players who play Smash Ultimate. And yeah, when they, when they say Tri-State, they're talking about the tweaks of the world. They're not really talking Listen. about the Philly players. Philly, yeah, there's like a... Right? We got to spot dodge bullets. Funny, right? funny... <laughs> funny enough, there's actually a uh, Philly player. His name is uh, Blazing Pasta that like oh, had, was, pretty, was pretty successful in Ultimate. But he's like literally like a top five player in uh, Nick All-Star Brawl, which is uh, a okay. funny funny thing to note. Like he was de- he was decently good at like a regional and national level in terms of placements and wins. And he's just like really beast at like Nick All-Star Brawl now. Well, we'll talk about um, that too a little bit in a little bit, but yeah. So, so give us more about this this summit. So, anyway, the main thing I was bringing up with the tri-state thing is that like Philly and PA have never really been part of a large region. They've kind of been their own ecosystem. Yeah. So the the money bags are kind of you know scarce in in, in Philly. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm poor. A lot of my friends are poor. <laughs> <laughs> Philly in general is just not a very rich region. No, it's not. There's a- there's a reason why we're we're fucking leading the murder capital, all right? Yes. So it's Austin, like Chicago. <laughs> in in general, like when it comes to this, the numbers really mean a lot, but also the whales mean a lot. Like just people who are just entirely so if from California, you have a really high shot of getting in because there's a lot of money in California. A lot of top players and a lot of top players that have um 
really good exposure and connections with certain people. For example, like a lot of West Coast top level players are friends with Mango, which is pretty much one of the best players of all time in the game for several years and is honestly the most uh, prolific player in terms of yeah. like rabbit following. So if he says this person should make it in, they're going to make it in. Um, so that was a really stressful thing of it. However, fast forward to how the phases work. The first couple of phases, it's just killing people at the, t- at the bottom who haven't raised enough money to get past a certain bar. Mm-hmm. And then the first phase comes up of if you make it in the top two cut of money, you make it to the event. I was actually number one for a grand majority of this first initial phase. Five minutes before it comes down, a player named West Balls from the West Coast um, gets spirit bombed, is what they called it. Mm-hmm. Thousands and thousands of dollars rained upon him, jumps up to first, and then someone else jumps up. I think it was S2J, actually, probably. That's what I imagine it was. Oh, you're still talking so, about the you're still talking about your first melee summit. Yeah, my first melee summit. So that really disheartened me because I was like, I'm making it in. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. Insane. That's a hard rug pull, man. Pulling a rug. Yes, I definitely had my rug pulled. And after that happened, like that was all the push I had, because like I said, the resources are limited, like in this in this particular region yeah. at the time. So I just slowly started dwindling down and all these other regions started getting in and I didn't end up making it in. And that really bummed me out because it's like, I think at the time during that time specifically, that was really my rise. I think a summit style event like that was a really great opportunity for me to like really put put my talents on and like only play good players and yeah, make a real big get name the for practice. Yourself. Yes. Cause some is a lot of exposure. I think that's primarily what it does outside of the huge payouts. Like if you win big, but like the exposure is so insane. Anyone who makes it a summit, you're on TV or I should say you're on Twitch, which is basically modern TV. You're on TV for three days straight. Uh, it might even be four days straight, but you're on TV for a long time and they do skits. Uh, for people who don't know, I'm just kind of going over what like what Summit truly is. The prize for first place is 50k. Like in the last two or three years, I've I've been following it a lot because I love Smash Bros. I love watching Smash Ultimate Summit, and the prize has been for first place 50k, second place is like 25k plus, and then it just like gets lower and lower, obviously as you go down. But 50k for first to me is an insane amount of money for a tournament that only has probably 30 people in it, maybe even less than that, probably less than that. So uh, that, typically 16. It's usually 16 uh, players total. Yeah, so that's insane. 16 people, you're one of 16 people who could win $50,000. Now, granted, you know, when it comes to fighting games, the best person in the room is going to always qualify for Summit, and they're probably going to win Summit, or at least place top two. Uh, and this is pretty much how it's been, again, for the last several years. But the good thing about Summit is that everyone does get paid, even if you get 16th. So if you won no rounds the entire tournament, like you got bodied by everybody, there has to be one guy. Uh, they still get paid money. And it's not even like a little bit. I think for Smash Ultimate's 16th place, they got like 2 to 3K. So, And the most important thing is like you just get to play with a lot of other good players. The yeah. thing that I remember... I was like mad back when you lost getting into the melee summit was uh I won't say their name, but another player got in and like you were you were ranked. I'm pre- if I remember, I don't remember if you were ranked higher than him, but I know you played this player in tournament and you beat him. And from from my experience watching this player and you like I was just like, I thought you were just strictly better than this person. Um, But 
they ended up beating you in terms of getting in the summit just because they had so much money behind them. Yeah, and that's and like, the thing about it. It's more so a popularity contest when it, when it gets to that voting stage. It's not so much about, like, who's better, which can be, like, that can suck. I guess, uh, Sting, I want to ask you. So I noticed that every year with, with Smash Ultimate, like, MKLeo always gets in. Tweak always gets in. And Some people get invited. So I, that's what I was about to say. I'm assuming that the like the top four players in the world or whatever, they just guarantee in. I don't know exactly yeah. what number it is. Yeah. But- so normally how it works is that there's there's a certain uh, number allotted to the in, uh, auto invites, which okay. are pretty much the people who are legacy. Obviously, they're ranked in you know one through six, one through nine, whatever it may be. And then you have your uh, qualified placings, which is just like you got top four at this major, so yeah. you want a spot to summit. I saw that when they were doing like a pound or um, big house and stuff like that. They were like, "Oh, the players from this will get a spot at summit." Mm-hmm. A, a cover, yeah, usually it's spot. like a it's like a loser side top eight match, and everyone is like really hyped up about it because winner whoever wins this set, they get, they get the summit. So there's additional pressures and factors added to that set as well. It's like artificial hype to the set yeah. because it's just like about getting this placement, but you can usually see it on the player's face. Like it's really important. And the winner from the previous summit gets to come back to the next year's summit, no matter what. So I know tweak one summit for smash ultimate. Like he won the summit. I think there were two summits in 20, (laughs) <laughs> 21 for smash ultimate uh between one one of them and then he was immediately invited to the very next one without having to do anything like if he never left his house again he would still be able to go granted yep. of course he did leave his house again and i think he even wanted a major in between that but uh yeah it's pretty cool that you know summit was one of the first big tournaments for smash ultimate after the pandemic started to slowly dwindle down and real life things were allowed so him coming out of that and beating MK Leo 6-0, like he beat him twice and 3-0 him both times, I'm pretty sure. That was huge. Like it meant it meant a lot. And uh that exposure, just the exposure at the time, people were like, yo, is he the best player in the world now? Like Summit, Summit hypes you up like nothing else. Like that shit really hypes you up. So I have a question though. So for the PM Summit, so now for anybody who doesn't know, you actually got into Summit for PM. Was there a money phase for that? Yeah, so uh let me actually pull up the stats on this because i actually was meaning you got in so we all like a bunch of people we all like voted for you right and i know we like put a bunch of votes to get you in now did that get you in or did that just put you into the money phase that put me into the money phase. Uh, and that's unless, how you know I'm broke. He didn't even hit me yeah, up for the money I, phase. Un, unless, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, I got the votes. He was like, I'm not talking to him for the money phase. Like, hey, yeah. man, every, every part counts. Yeah, I, I, so normally, so what happened here is that I got in through the voting phase, right? Um, and what, what's an interesting transition of when I was, I think I was like 22 at the time, maybe 21, 20, when I tried to get into Melee Summit, Spirit was really crushed, was really down on myself because I was like, damn, like this was my opportunity and I felt like it just like was almost there and it got taken away. So I was really devastated after that. Um, PM Summit comes around. I've been taking uh, Project M, pretty much just a fan-made mod of Brawl to make it more like Melee, is uh, the TLDR on that. Um, the game is pretty storied, pretty history, and um, an interesting thing about PM is that its top-level talent is really, really heavy. Like It's a very top-end game. It's not like Melee, where there's a lot of these intermediate and high-level players. 
it is like at the very top, it's very cutthroat, very, so very talented, I very strong. I think I get that because when ARG used to run their own events, so ARG is a third party um, store, used to be my sponsor, Alter Reality Game, shout out to Jim McMahon. Uh, they used to run their own tournaments, right? And these tournaments used to have cash prizes, which lured in a lot of players. But it, what it lured in was the whales. It lured in the the top of the top Yu-Gi-Oh players, whereas the, the casuals who like to go to regionals, they like to go to locals and stuff like that. They weren't necessarily traveling to, like, let's say Dallas, Texas. That's the first ARG was held in Texas. They wouldn't travel from Philly to Texas like I did to play in a tournament uh, that had a really big cash prize and was hosted by someone that wasn't Konami. But the Patrick Hobans of the world, Billy Brake, that's where that infamous match between him and me and him played. You wouldn't want to play me in my full power and all that stuff. That happened there. Like There were a lot of really, really good players at that event. And it's because I think that those type of events that are just based on being really competitive, like the reason why PM exists is because people wanted a competitive version of Brawl. Brawl is just not a competitive game, really. Like at its at its really deep core, it's so problematic. So PM was a basically a way. And if I'm speaking wrong, let me know. But PM basically was to correct a lot of things that Brawl did wrong from a competitive standpoint. So the people who that game attracts by default are going to be people who are really competitive by nature, right? Like you don't have yeah, any it, casuals playing PM as you would like Brawl. Like the casuals will just play Brawl and they like it. Yeah, it's the thing of PM where you know, the top players of the game and, like, people who, you know, shape the metagame of PM, uh, of uh, Brawl, rather, is, um, you know, they made a competitive game out of it. It was a long, long time. But they they essentially had to really overcome a lot of hurdles because the game, from a design standpoint, is made to not be competitive. A lot of the things about the game's engine is to limit the ability of, like, <laughs> how fast you can move, how many times you can hit somebody in a row in a combo, how you can edge guard them, like all the things in melee that made them made the game really tight in its engine and really rewarding to play for people who were, you know, good at the game was just hence removed when it came to brawl because that just wasn't the goal when the game was made in 2001. What's so funny about that is, uh, well, brawl was 2000. I was referring to melee in that yeah, sense. Yeah. Like the goal of melee was not to have one of the most hardest technical fighting games of all time. It was funny about Brawl though is they added a bunch of mechanics that made it really frustrating to play seriously, like tripping, for example. But then they added Meta Knight, who just avoided all of the things <laughs> that stopped you from being competitive. Like he had three jumps or four jumps. He could fly. Six, six he, jumps. He had six <laughs> jumps. He could fly. He could glide. He could just like combo. He could go up like. He, they added, like, Meta Knight avoided all of the things that were put in the game to stop competition. He was like, yep. I got it. Don't worry. And then guys. Ice Climbers in that engine uh, pretty much were totally fine with not being fast and, like, crazy, crazy technical because they weren't in melee. But in Brawl, if you make mistakes, they had infinite combos that killed every character no matter what did not matter as long as your execution and timing on re-grabbing them was consistent enough. You get a grab, they are dead at zero or 999. It did not matter when you grab them. <laughs> so the insane. game, the, the game's engine, uh, like also benefited them a lot because like you, you can't get them off stage and kill them easily. You can't touch their shield because shields, shields are really cracked in that game. You also can't run away from them because most characters are a lot slower or you'll just randomly trip and get grabbed anyway. We're all so it's, bad. Yeah. Um, I know that there's people that love it, right? Like, because they grew up when it was their first Smash game. 
And like they love it, but you're wrong. I think that if you're dying on a hill of Brawl is my favorite Smash game, there's something mentally like off there. I just there's no because there's so there's been Smash games that came after it that are way better. Like Smash 4 is way better. Smash Ultimate's infinitely better. And then before that, you have Melee and you have 64. Brawl is literally the worst Smash game ever created. That is not even a hot that's not a hot take that's not like a i don't even think it's subjective i think that is objectively i actually watched a video from panda global um they are a big smash you know youtube channel and they actually ranked every smash game like they ranked all of them and brawl every so it was pro it was it was pro players rank every smash game and every single pro who they asked put brawl at the bottom like that was the worst one they said let's get the easy one out the way the worst one is brawl every single one like every single person you asked was like brawl 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 in the video they walk up to people at an event like one of the events that's super major so every good player is there and they're like what's the worst what's the like the t-? you know ranked all the smash games and it's like brawl was always the first one that people said is the worst right so that is just a fact at this point i feel like it's objective yeah gonna- the way the way that i would put it personally is that i think Brawl isn't inherently the worst game just because it's the worst game. I think it just it went the incorrect direction for the game to be successful where instead of, you know, rebalancing the game to deal with some problematic things that exist in Melee because there definitely are things that are wrong with the game yeah. in terms of its balance, they decided to remove pretty much like a lot of aspects that made the game fun for a great player base. So I think Melee players have always had a bit of a disdain, disdain for that because you Instead of you trying to fix the game, you pretty much made the game not fun for me to play. Yeah, Brawl's just not fun. But that's why PM's sick. Yeah. Um, so what did PM um, do to fix Brawl? Let's discuss that it just, it just makes it play more like Melee. Like, they added L-canceling. They changed a lot of the gravity. They changed a lot of the movesets. Uh, and they just made the combo system, the hit stun, like, all of that stuff. They made it more similar to Melee. Now, it's not Melee perfect, but they, they changed as many mechanics as they could to make it more similar to melee like if melee if melee was smash ultimate let's just say that in terms of modern game like game game design and stuff like that let's just say melee was like smash 4 right like that's that's the next title that came out let's say they go 64 then they go brawl brawl flops or something like that because it's like whatever then they have melee if they were to make ultimate because ultimate is pretty much modeled right after like pretty much after smash 4 with some changes and redesigning right yeah, that's what PM would be. It's essentially if Melee Two was made. It yeah. has a lot of the things that make what Melee are good, but also combines the best aspects of Brawl. There's a lot of cool techniques in Brawl that like are really fun to do in a Melee type engine. Yeah, there's like a technique bouncing. called wave bouncing, which essentially you just do a special move input with a certain combination on your uh, control stick, and it like moves your momentum in a non-traditional way of how that move would work. Um, There's also RAR, which is called Reverse Aerial Rush, where essentially if you're in your full run animation, you tap to the opposite way that you're running, and you jump. You'll jump with all the forward momentum that you normally would, but you'll be facing backwards. And that doesn't exist in Melee. Like, if if you want to be facing backwards and jump off the stage with a lot of speed. Really, the only way to do it is moonwalking, which is another technique, pretty, but... Yeah, and it's also pretty tough to do. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Like, PM, one of the very first things, like, before PM was PM, one of the very first, like, mod changes that were made to Brawl 
was fixing Falco's shine. Like, that was, like, such a big thing. Like, they made it so Falco's shine stayed on him and bounced you up. That was, like, one of the very, like, the, I think the first PM character is Falco. Like, Falco's the first character they made to play, like, Melee. And then the rest of PM and, like, the offshoots, like, Brawl Plus and Brawl Minus sort of all started from there. Yeah, the very early builds of uh, uh, PM um, pretty much had had that where the Falco was uh, uh, changed and adjusted because in Brawl he used to kick his shine away and it used to just like yeah. push you away from him versus yep. melee it's on top of him and it sends you up so you can do his famous pillar combos where he just does pretty much an up down up down loop into yeah. like a, I love the way a strong another thing about early PM that was cool was like at the time early PM didn't have all the characters in it right it would like at first it had like 10 characters because they were yeah they were modern like, programming issues brawl was a very yeah. complicated game in the way that it was designed so, so like characters would it felt like you were waiting for new characters to come out in a new game like it was you were literally for characters to get made in the pm engine it was so sick it was exactly like how like modern games are kind of made in that way yeah. now where it's like you have the base game and then you have dlc but the nice thing yeah. about pm is that it was all free yeah, yeah, it, it was cool. a really fun experience made by the community, right? Like it's all yeah, pretty, pretty much. Game. It was mainly made by like a lot of people who are just like super ingeniously smart. Um, you have a lot of people like Mag- Magus. Um, God, there, there's too many names to even say. Strong Bad was a really, really big name with it. Um, just a lot of people who just were really good at designing the game um, and really just made something special. That's, uh, that's amazing. It's all community driven. And that kind of reminds me always take everything back to Yu-Gi-Oh! But that kind of reminds me of how ARG, at one point, the, the normal Konami format was really toxic. The balance was just bad. And I don't think we had gotten a new one for a while. So the format became stale. And ARG was like, okay, well, how about this? We're just going to make our own adjustments to the current ban list. And people showed up for that shit. And I think that those events that ARG was running at the time, those were really big. They were getting like 400 players. Like yeah, the that's first, really cool. Yeah, they just they were like, okay, the problem that everyone is complaining about, for example, that's just I'm going to throw something out. I don't know if this is actually what it was, even though I I definitely got top four at one of the uh, tournaments with an altered ban list. But let's just say Trishula was a problem. They would say, okay, Trishula is banned. Like if everyone's complaining about this car, it's actually super problematic. It's low interaction or whatever it is. They're like Trishula is banned for the ARG event. So that just tweaked deck building so much because everyone had to build around Trishula at one point in Yu-Gi-Oh. Like it was that serious that trishula it was such a polarizing card that every deck had to have trishula in mind and if you resolved it it was too much for anybody to come back from so they were like well this isn't really competitive this isn't really fun well, let's fix this and that's essentially what happened with uh pm is like this isn't competitive this isn't fun for most of the communities like this just is not it like i just i tripped and fell in front of an ice climber <laughs> it's just like it's just like uh an attack on tight before Aaron's mom is get, gets eaten and she's just a, a sitting duck and a tight just reaches down and grabs her and that's the end of her life it's the same it's the Dude, same thing i remember there was this video it was like i, I want to say it was called like tripping is meta or like tripping is good or something like that and it's like Marth versus Samus, and the Marth goes to dash forward, and he trips. And because he trips, he like ends up going under Samus's like power shot. Like Samus shoots the power <laughs> shot, and Marth like trips and goes under the shot. That is <laughs> so bad. Like just yeah. it was so random. Yeah. So um, current PM, the one that you actually qualified for their summit and played in, um, what is that like? And I know they have like. All these characters and stuff that are oh, not in dude. any Smash game. 
the that so what's so cool is because you know Brawl took out characters. It took out Roy. Took out Mewtwo. When PM first like it fixed uh, all the characters that were in Brawl for uh, PM, but then they added back Roy, Mewtwo, and they added characters that were in um, Melee. But then like they added fucking Knuckles. <laughs> yeah, Knuckles is a playable character, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah, it's actually a little like it's a, it's a pretty known little secret in the community. But for a long time, back in uh, version three point six, which is like pretty much the um, one of the biggest patches in terms of how long it was played. It's the patch that's been played on the longest because the Project M team disbanded after three point six, so that was like the final patch in a way. But there was like test builds, pretty much like demo builds of um a knuckles that was like pretty much almost complete there was also plans to get lynn and isaac from golden sun into the game as well those were a little bit more incomplete knuckles was like pretty much around the corner in the way sammy from uh advance wars was another character they were working on yeah but they never um but in in regards to uh in regards to like pm now so I make it in through the voting phase. Money phase comes around. And such a stark difference of when I was, you know, I call myself young, even though I'm like not that old, but like I feel like mindset wise. I'm 24 now. Okay. Yeah. You're still young. Yeah. I'm still young. But as far as like my uh, mindset and like where I was in my life, like melee was a really, really big part of my life during that time. Um, The thing for me is that. Now in my life, I play a lot of PM. I'm like one of the best players in PM. I practice it a lot. But things are a little different in my life. I have a career. I have a girlfriend that I've been with for a very long time now. I live on my own. I'm like more adulting in terms of like what's my priorities now. So when it came to PM Summit, I also just had a lot more advantages for me where I actually kind of have like a little bit of a career thing. I actually make money. Right. And the PM community is a lot smaller to the Melee community. So the idea got my head for PM Summit. I'm like, I feel like I can get a little bit of money from people and I can actually just buy myself in. Right. Because like, I actually just make real money. So it's like, how big is this thing going to get, right? Uh, Kind of a surprising result when it comes to that. Let me see. So the biggest prize pool for PM up until PM Theater, spoiler alert, largest prize pull in PM's history. The one you, uh, the one you the qualified PM for. Summit, yeah. yeah, for what was uh, was the PM Summit, which is called PM Theater. It has a lot of really cool aesthetics to it, by the way. It was like literally like a Mario Party like, like was, theater yeah, like yeah, theme like tournament. Paper Mario. Yeah, it was literally like a Paper Mario like it was like a uh I don't even know how to even say it like Machiavellian like theater like yeah theater well, style like tournament. It was really cool. For anybody that doesn't Phantom know of the opera shit. Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door, it's the second Paper Mario game. It's an RPG. When you play all the battles, like RPG battles, there's a crowd because like you're on a stage on all the battles. There's a crowd that like cheers and you can do shit. So they had like Paper Mario like crowd and like a uh, cut like Paper Mario style characters of like Mewtwo and other PM characters in the crowd. So while you were watching, you know, Stango play somebody. There's like a little thing that has like a, a fake PM crowd of like, and they look like Paper Mario characters. That's like cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it was it was really really neat. Really really neat. Theme. Yeah, it, the theme was spot on. It was definitely uh, very summit summit in its uh, spirit. Um, so up until that point, 
the largest uh, prize pool for a PM tournament was about $2,500, maybe $3,000. Uh, the money that was raised all together for this event from the crowdfunding was around $30,000. Wow. Um, the game, you know, in terms of like the money it's seen has never even been that close uh, before. Uh, leading up to this, the money I was raising myself, getting from other people and everything like that, getting support from my friends, I started getting that sinking feeling again. I'm like, oh God, like, this is like, is this going to happen to me again? Like, am I not going to make it in? Am I just going to be a pop monster? I, uh, I just like, I I held it down. I didn't think about it. I got some money in all my, all, all myself. I got some big bombs from several friends. I make it in by about a hundred dollars no did you that's close that is close did you end up doing anything to make it in like anything with your hair or shaving or no i actually avoided all that (laughs) i pretty much was like campaigning making content for people a lot of people were tuning in watching um but here's the thing you can get people to watch your stream and be like oh haha like give views and like all this stuff but like getting people to spend money on you especially a significant amount like random people that's just never the strategy in these type of things like you said popularity contests you need to be able to find whales like people who in all honesty are just entirely irresponsible with their money like people who just cannot make correct correct like life decisions whatsoever oh yeah people who are just like like how are you still alive type of type of feel here yes you need some degenerates um, I love the you gotta find way. you gotta find all your friends that play gotcha games. <laughs> you gotta find your friends that blow five thousand dollars every time a new life. In my case, out. my friends who love to go to the casino, which is pretty much all of them. Every single yes. fucking friend I have, I think except Gus, likes to gamble. Like they they either like to roll for money or roll for cards, or they, they like to go not Fraser's friend. Or they like to go to the fucking casino. Almost all of them. Now, <laughs> Gus is one of them, and there's a couple others that I was, but I don't want to start naming like everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I thought about Xavier. Like Xavier doesn't go to the casino anymore. He used to be, you know, like to gamble. You don't. You, from what I understand, I don't think I've ever seen you gamble. You're like me. I think you. you money is precious to us. We yes. like our money so much that parting with our money is a big deal. I know people like <laughs> think that I like to like. Spend my money all crazy willy nilly, but in reality, yeah, they see they see your stories oh. on like Facebook and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, you're bougie now, huh? Every like you're getting these fancy meals and stuff. Is a very calculated, well thought out purchase to make me happy in life because life is very transitory. It's very, it's 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 fast, it's quick, and I just I think that you should use your money to be happy. I think all work and no play is is not the I way get to live. Sick when I see people like on slot machines and stuff like what are you doing just yeah i go can't, do anything else i can't do it i know you have a chance to win but i know that no, the odds don't. are stacked against you, you don't have a chance <laughs> yeah it, it is it is it is literally the purest definition of is a scam you? that, that is of. that is all we need to know i believe i said this on the podcast before but if not if you want to make any money going to the casino just like bet on red or black just go to the roulette table <laughs> your 50 50 and yeah. just be like yeah, it's a little no. less than 50-50, but it's the closest you'll probably get outside of Blackjack. And you have to know how to play Blackjack literally perfectly yeah. to make the odds even close to 50-50 in Blackjack, which yep. 99% of people who play Blackjack do not play book perfect. Like, I need you to play like an actual robot. Um, so that being said, yeah, it, it's the whole idea of like having money and parting with money 
I I get it. I don't I don't really like to gamble, but those are the people who do like to spend money on Twitch streams and stuff like that. So people will watch you and be entertained by you, but they'll never open their wallets. Yes. That's a that that that's just like a main thing that I've kind of kind of known with like just seeing summits like go by in melee and like this is PM's first summit. So this is like our emu- yeah, emul- uh emulation of uh, you know, yeah, the nice. the event yeah. that's really like carried melee's like higher echelon uh you know competitive yeah, play because yeah, i think that the smash summit for melee and ultimate gets upwards of 150k in prizes like i said yeah first, first place takes home 50k right um in general a lot of summits are very very successful in how much money they actually pull in this year summit for melee is actually a little bit on the lower end and i think that mainly just has to do with the idea that uh having like four summits a year two yeah. in the fall well, one in the fall, one in the summer for both games, Ultimate and Melee. It's just a lot, and it also like so many. There's uh, there the events are opening up again, so like people are just kind of like, I want to spend my money to go to things. Right now, before when everybody was in the house, it made sense that they're like, fuck it, I want this entertainment. I, this is my favorite player. Yeah. I really want him to get in. I know Fatality, a Smash Ultimate player. He's the best Falcon in the world, the best Captain Falcon. He uh, he shaved his head to get into Summit this current, I- like this last Smash Summit. I do think they need to. I, I, I do want them to dial it back. I think two summits for ultimate and melee a year is so much. Like, just have like a a summer and a winter summit. Have like one for melee, one for ultimate. I just think two for both. It's so much, man. It is a lot, in my opinion, too. And I used to think that they were once a year. I guess they used to be, but like anything else that's successful. Uh, yeah, I would say like in the last three years, they probably changed it to the schedule where it's um, two for each. Yeah, I agree with Kenny, though. I do think that it was more special, I think, when it was not as often. Now, granted, I will watch as many of them as they do. If they do yes. a summit every if fucking they did five weekend, a year, I would watch it. I will watch every single one because I actually enjoy it so much because you're literally watching the best of the best play and only the best of the best play. So, like, it's really, really nice at for high level people who enjoy high level competition like that, which I do. And the thing about Smash is that the high level players have such a they have big personalities like hungry box mango like all of those guys they're very very big personalities even zane right like they're all like these personal leffen they're very polarizing characters like they kind of play characters like you know they have their real lives and then they're their smash lives and they're such big personalities like on twitter i always think about like how leffen speaks on twitter there's even a twitter bot uh that was written to be leffen and it just writes things that it takes tweets and it writes them in ways that leffen would talk and it's so fucking funny to me i follow it. it's such a funny i don't know who made this bot but it just it's so hilarious the way it speaks because it speaks just like he does and yes. that type of thing like just the fact that he's that big of a character the way he talks the way he complains about things the way he bitches and moans about things is all part of who he is and granted he's one of the best players to ever play melee so like watching him play in a summit is really cool to me and same thing with smash ultimate like i like all of the big names and Smash Ultimate. So these things are really high exposure, a lot of money too. So they're not playing for nothing. You can feel the intensity in the matches. You feel it. But yeah, it's nice. I, I even like the fact that every every summit is different because if it was just 16 of the best players every time, you probably just see the same 16 people every It's always season. nice to yeah. have like the 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 money vote-ins. Yes. Uh because those people are generally up and coming or they're like they're like uh crowd favorites of like their region. Like right, sometimes yeah. certain regions like there could be a guy in Illinois or something that's just like nice at the game and they're like, we're getting our boy in. Right. Like and he's, what's cool he, about it 
a lot of times the the people who you're talking about, Stengo, they might not be able to go to every event like the top 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 players are. Like MKWeo, yeah. Mango, Hungry, but they go to every single event. Basically, they don't go to events when they don't feel like it. At this point, like if Mango's not at a Smash Melee event, it's because Mango didn't want to go to the Smash Melee event. He has, he also like, just makes more money streaming yes, than actually going to tournaments. Which is which is my point. Is like they don't want to. If they don't go to an event, it's because they don't want to now. But people like you who are on the you're very good at the game, but you might have the resources to go to every single one. Like this one's in Cali. That's that's a fucking thousand dollar trip at this point. Like the flight, hotel, food. And if you have to pay anything else, like normal events that are not invites have venue fee, which is a hundred dollars or so. I would say like $150 is like standard entry, including venue. And, and with and inflation, like your- I see things going up. There's a whole discussion about making the, the actual entry for tournaments. It used to, it's like $10. They want to make it $20 and people are up in arms about this extra $10. To me, an adult, who makes good money is like that just seems fucking ridiculous. But when they put it in perspective of like well, regular people, like the casuals don't have, you know, disposable income and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Also, like at the end of the day, like a lot of us got into a lot of these games as kids, right? Yes. Making it 20 bucks makes it a lot harder. It's a it's already hard enough to convince your dad to give you 10 bucks to go play a video game. It's like now you gotta convince your dad to give you 20 bucks. Yeah. And you need those people. You need casuals. No scene can survive with zero casuals basically like yep. you you just need those because those that's the majority of the people majority of people are not going to be mk leo it's great to have an mk leo because that's something that people aspire to be and he brings in the views he brings in the crowd right people want to play against them they want the shot the chance to play like I get, i'm in a pool with mk leo that's amazing even if they're going to get destroyed or upset them you know the, the just the chance the thought of it will bring people to your tournament but you can't have a tournament of mk leos like it's just not realistic. So you do need the people who are willing to uh, fly Be out. Put that, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And put that money, put that money up, even though they might not, they pretty much know that they're not going to do the best. Yeah. But they go for the fun of it. They like I went for, to yeah. Evo in 2012. Like I fully knew I wasn't going to win street fighter Evo in 20. 20- I entered street fighter and KOF. Uh, I knew I wasn't winning either of those games, but I just went for the fun of going yeah. to Evo, hanging out with people. I, uh, I actually did, Okay, uh, I didn't go zero two, so I was happy. That, yeah, just, like, for me, that's like yeah, at that's Evo, heavy. I fully expected to go o two, and there, at that time there wasn't a lot, in, at least in my area, there wasn't a lot of Street Fighter tournaments like locals. So I actually went to Evo, and that was like my third Street Fighter tournament. Like there wasn't a lot. I had played in more melee tournaments than Street Fighter tournaments, yeah. so I, I was fully expecting to go o two, but I didn't. That was hype. Yeah, the the um, the Dudley's nice. So how did you I end played up? Dudley, I played Balrog. Balrog, Balrog. He was just like, oh, they're both black boxers. Yes, yes. They're both <laughs> black boxers. I cannot tell the difference. I don't see color. That's what that's my story. <laughs> no, I don't see color. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Real quick, this is so relevant. At the PM Theater, the PM Thumbit that Stango was at, I watched, so you might not even know this, Stango, right? Because you were there. You weren't watching the stream. Okay. So I'm watching the stream. I watched like a good bit of it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We had like a little hangout at one point. I'm watching it, and uh, so I'm, I'm watching. People are playing. I'm like, oh, this guy's good. I remember at one point I was talking to like uh, our friend Nick, and I uh, was talking to Cheyenne. And like, whenever Stango wasn't on the screen, Nick was like, "Oh, what is this shit? How did I get on this channel?" And he like got to change the channel. But anyway, so there's a part where a guy from Philly, his name's Dot Com uh, Nadim, really really cool guy, good PM player. Uh, he was commentating the event. At PM Theater. He's a black dude, little heavy set. So he's on, at one point on the couch. It's him and two white guys. 
Oh my god, I know exactly dude, what you're talking so about. They're actually. talking Go about ahead. like they're talking about <laughs> something. I don't know what they're saying. They're talking about something, but something about race gets brought up, and the one white guy goes, "I don't see color." And Nadim looks at him and goes, "Well, you should get that checked out." <laughs> <laughs> I know I exactly what you're talking about. So hard because, like, the white guy got kind of awkward, and he was like, "Well, uh, uh, well, I don't see color." And then Nadim just looks at him and goes, "Well, you should get that checked out." Right. And then just like moves on. <laughs> yeah, he he was really smooth with it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. That that was a really really good moment. <laughs> he was also making basketball references with two white guys on the couch as well, and they were just like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know not what you speak of." Yeah, he was talking about me and my friend that were uh, playing in uh, doubles. Um, but well, we can we can get to that. Yeah, so let's the, talk about uh, how you actually how you performed at the summit right so you played the yeah tournament. yeah so the doubles tournament was first up in terms of uh what actually completed and uh me and my boy dvd brian um during the shutdown of uh, COVID, um the region that i kind of uh, adopted or adopted me because like i just discorded with them a lot played a lot of net play and stuff like that um Pretty much, uh, I'm like NYNJ in terms of a region. Like, there's really no Pennsylvania or Philly players, or at least, like, I don't really have a strong connection with them. There's definitely no Delaware players where I live now. So it's like, that's, I, I'm not a Delaware player Man, in terms no of. Ultimate Scout? He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. He's canceled as well. <laughs> oh, Is he? Yes. <laughs> Holy shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's canceled. He's out of here. But. Man. Uh, yeah, so I'm like NYNJ in terms in terms of my region. Uh, during like that entire summer, fall, winter of just like COVID ruining the world, uh, played a lot of singles, played a lot, a lot of doubles, and between all the people that we played, like Malachi is also one of my really good friends. He's one of the best players. I really respect him a lot. He's pretty much like my uh, like. He would say that he he's Vegeta or he was Goku, and I would say I'm Vegeta or Goku. We would just always say the opposite. We're pretty much like yeah, that kind of relationship. Like rivals. Yeah. yeah, we pretty much just power each other up. Like we we keep each other like like oh you're doing this bad like you're you're not bad stop being bad like we pretty much keep each other at like top top performance so we can just like take over the game like that's kind of like our relationship. Um, but. Between him, who's insanely good, another one of my boys, Boyko, like when we play all these doubles games, me and DVD, we we always had the best synergy. Like we we just clicked really, really well. Uh, so he's going to theater because he uh, landed a spot from actually placing really well after not going to a tournament for three years. This guy's cracked at the game, by the way. Pick played a new character. He traditionally always played Toon Link for several years. Picked up Sheik over quarantine. Uh, got third at the at Man. like the biggest major like uh, when the uh, you know doors opened up after COVID. Dude, uh, like kind of died down a little bit. We're killing it in doubles. I remember yeah, we we them. already we already knew when we went in, when going into the event like no shit like not even like talking shit or just like pretending like we weren't going to lose. There was not a single oh. percent chance of anyone beating us. So I was hosting. I was me and Fraser were helping host the the RBET. That's Edison what we were program. doing. I was like, we were doing yeah. something. We were watching that at the same time. Yeah. So on my other, so we're hosting the RBET tournament, and I had the PM Theater on my other monitor, but I wasn't able to all the way pay attention. So same. there was at one point where uh, my girlfriend was PMing me because she was watching you play, and she was PMing me like 
all, like a bunch of stuff you were doing, like when you were winning or losing or whatever. And then so like I was getting a bunch of updates from her as you were going through the tournament. And then when the Edison tournament was done, I got to like really tune in. And when I watched in the doubles tournament, you and the uh, the guy DVD were absolutely murdering. There's a part Scra where scraping, in our scraping. group chat, Off the floor, like, dude, we have a group chat. It's, you know, me, you, Frazier, Gary, and a bunch of other friends, Cairo, etc. And I, I start popping off in the group chat. Like, guys, you have to, like, I think I sent the link. I was like, there's a part where you guys were down, I want to say, like, five stocks or something. It was like, you had two stocks, and, or you had one stock, and your DVD had two stocks. And they still had, like, three stocks and four stocks. And there's a part where your fox is just moving, and you delete, like, four stocks between the two of them in less than a minute. And I was like, this fucking kid is moving so aggressively. <laughs> it was so cool. And, like, the way you guys were playing, you brought that back and won that game. And then you guys went on to uh, just murder the doubles event. And you guys got first place. Who'd you play in grand finals? Uh, we played uh, Blue and uh, Blue and the Doctor. Oh. So, Dude, the, the commentators were saying, like, the, the, the Blue and Doctor, I think they were saying, like, this is the number one ranked doubles team. Like, in terms of doubles... They were the best doubles team. They win the doubles tournaments, whatever. They're the number one ranked doubles team. And not a chance. I, they didn't have a chance. Dude, they got <laughs> obliterated. Like it yes. didn't even look close. Like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, so Blue Doctor, they won a blacklist at doubles, which was like a little prestigious. There was a lot of people there. Um PM, as far as ranking, is a little weird. There's sample size issues because we don't have as many events because we can't run concurrently uh, or like alongside of like the big melee events because it's obviously not supported by Nintendo. You know how they are about mods. So like we kind of have these like uh, basement tournaments, like these underground tournaments. We're we're pretty much like melee was before like the boom of the documentary in a way. Um, yeah. We have that like rumbling of like people like being active and attending. But it, it it doesn't have the outreach that like melee currently has now. Um, so they were considered the best uh, double doubles team just because they won blacklisted pretty dominantly. I teamed with uh, Boyko and like Boyko is a great great player. I just always think that like we don't really mesh that well in terms of like the way he wants to do things are like the same way I want to do things. And usually the way you complement like your your teammate the best is like you you um, you facilitate or like make the ease of like their game plan choices to like even be twice as effective. If I want to be aggressive or defensive, the best teammate for me would be the person who amplifies that, uh, that game plan I want to go for. So if I want to be aggressive, like my teammate controls the stage, he allows me to be aggressive. He pretty much gives me free reign and like supports me through that. Um, Boyga and I, he, we've just always, um, we've always not really like kind of clashed in that way. Where like we, we really want to do the same things in terms of yeah, the way yeah. we want to play. But DVD, godlike support. If he doesn't want to get touched or hit, his, yeah. his will be done. He runs. He's defensive. He punishes people for being overly aggressive, and he just supports my aggression so well because I just think that's the correct way that you play Fox and doubles. He's just so overwhelming, especially since he can just spam buttons on shield because. You can't really punish Fox like you can in singles. Like if you've seen Zane on FD with Fox, like those kind of combos just don't happen. You don't have enough time in doubles. Think, There's a whole other character that will stop you from doing this. You think Fox is the best doubles character in PM? Yeah, I think he's the best doubles character, and I think the best team in the game is uh, Fox and Wario. Mm. Yeah. Is that who never got plays? He plays Wario. No, he plays Sheik. Okay. Um, which is also just like like the the moral of the story is. 
like with how broken Fox is in doubles, any team with Fox is its power level is significantly amped up. Right. So you just play, you just somebody needs to be playing Fox. Yeah, but the thing is, is that I'm actually the best Fox player, and like in melee, I think my decision making with Fox in general is like a pretty high level Fox. But it's like the execution of melee because of the game's engine is like a lot weirder in terms of its difficulty because of just how it's programmed. Not to just bore, it's just a harder game to execute in because the engine is just like older it's made like not as uh smooth i guess yeah. you could say um but in pm i'm like the best fox by a very very large margin like my results wise and just like in general with my like skill and just like player power with fox it's um it, it's like a strategy that's like only to me like no one else is allowed to have this strategy because no one can like match with like my fox's like power that's good so, yeah so it's like a, it's like uh it's almost like the hungry box effect where it's like Hungrybox has like the power of Jigglypuff more so than like any other puff could have. So he has this advantage over other people. Yeah. It's kind of something similar to that. So you guys won the doubles tournament and then you played in the main event. And what'd you finish? Top four in that one? Yeah, I got fourth. Um okay. projected much higher than my seed. I think I was seeded to get like seventh or eighth or pro- uh something like that. Um so pretty pretty good wins in terms of uh in terms of like what I consider good wins because I know where I stand in terms of my player skill. I didn't get any wins I was really proud of, but on paper my wins were nice. I beat DVD, but I always beat him in friendlies. Like when we play like he he gets beat up pretty bad cuz So that's, that's your partner, right? From the doubles. Yes, we played in singles. He was actually um took me to game 5 um in terms of uh, the the loser side of the bracket. So it was, you know, if I win or lose, uh, you know, I'm out or I continue on. Um, One thing I wanted to touch on, which is like just kind of speaking to like where I am in life in terms of competing in Smash. When I first really started getting good at Melee on a regional level where I became the quote unquote king of Philly, where like I beat everybody in sets, no one could take me. I won at a tournament in like the Philadelphia region. Um, If there wasn't like a really strong like uh, out of state player who like showed up. If it was all in state, it was just assured that I would win. Um, during that time, I didn't have a job, so it was like melee was like my income, like paying bills, supporting my girlfriend, just doing general things. Like I had to get first to like make good money. And eventually, when things got harder, that put a lot of stress on me, and it caused a lot of like kind of inner turmoil with like my competitive spirit because. It was more so less about like the journey of being like good and having fun with that. It was like I'm treating the thing that I enjoy the most as a job, and yeah. it really messed with really messed with me in that case. Uh, so much so too. that I had to kind of um, I had to kind of like take a break to kind of recenter myself. The thing that's so great about PM for me now, I have a career, I have money, I'm good where I am in life. Uh, I spent money to get to this event. I ov- overall probably only went like. I made like $1,800 over that weekend. Mm -hmm. I probably like made positive like 500 in terms of like what I invested to get there. Yeah. Like net is 300 bucks. Yep. And the, uh, the difference between losing the set against DVD right then and there and winning was about like $500 in terms of earnings and winnings. And I just thought about it when I was waiting for my set, I was just like, damn, this would really stress me out knowing this. Like, way before but like oh yeah i, I don't care yeah right. i don't like, care if i win or lose right. for the money yeah. at all and but that felt lost. so 
obviously you want to win because like you know that's what you're there for but if you lost you're not going to be in a spiral of depression because like you fucking went in the hole and you're yeah yeah it it was just it was just really liberating and it made me really really happy and i think that also helped like just my general competitive nerves i'm like wow like i agree this like 500 dollars difference means nothing to me like I, yeah. I could lose right now and make zero money, which can't happen, but I could literally make zero money and it wouldn't matter to me at all. That's really important because it helps with your mental so much. Mental like, is so big for competitive anything. Yes. It's so big. Like, yeah, you can have the technical play. You can have the right character. You can have the meta call. You can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, if your mental is just not there when it comes time to play, None of that matters. Like you need to be mentally strong. Your fortitude just has to be top notch because I think that IBDW spoke to this when he won summit, the last melee summit uh, that he won, or there might've been one after that by now, but uh, <laughs> IBDW, he there was Zane won the last one. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I can't even keep up. That's anymore. absurd. Like there's too many. They, yeah, they got to relax. That IBDW one. I feel like it just happened. Oh wait, no, no, no. I'm being slow. I'm being slow. You're right. Okay, that so was, I was, that was say, the last one. The I was thinking about Genesis. I was thinking about Genesis. Okay. Cause Kenny and I literally just watched IBDW and I was like, damn, that guy's really good. Yeah, uh, like it's been two months, maybe, but maybe two it months just yeah. happened. Yes, that is still just happened to me. Two mo- sixty days within sixty days seems like pretty decent. Um, but yeah, he won. <laughs> he won the last Smash Summit, but he spoke to like why he won it, and he said that it was all mental for him. Before he used to be a rager, he was one of those people that when he lost even one game or whatever, it just eats at him so much that he would end up losing a whole set off momentum because his mental is fucked up. The same mm-hmm. thing is true for Tweak in Smash Ultimate. He has a mental block sometimes where he'll be up 2-0 against somebody, he'll lose one game, and normally, or I, sh- I shouldn't say normally, but what a person should do is like recenter themselves, like, okay, I was up 2-0, I almost closed it out, I ended up losing a clutch game 3, right, that could have closed it out 3-0, he came back and won, he's up, now he has one game, and instead of being like, oh god, he's about to backdoor 3-0 me, which is, I think, what happens to people, you just recenter yourself and say, okay, I'm just going to do my best again, and I'm, 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 I'm going to clear this. I'm going to close it. I'm going to close this out. I'm going to win 3-1. It's not a big deal. And even if you lose that one and it's 2-2, you're still, like, you have the counter pick. Like, it's still in your favor. Like, yeah. don't buckle. If I think one of the best things that I want people to start doing, especially in fighting games, and I've seen it work so many times, is if you are on the cusp of a backdoor 3-0, right? I think that for game, if it gets to game five, stand up grab a drink of water, like walk around a little bit and like clear your mind as best as you can and sit back down and play. Cause I think that when you just go back to back to back into the games, the crumbling just keeps happening. It just perpetuates yeah. it. Like it, you, you literally see it by the time game five comes around. It's like, Holy shit. You can shit, see man. it on their face. You can Especially see it the- it's like in the middle of the back door, Yo, you lose the first stock tweet? again. You can always see the face of the person who was up two Oh, you can just see like if the you realization want to see what set in. Talking about watch Evo 2019, I believe it was Tweak versus MK Leo Evo Finals. Tweak is in winners bracket, MK Leo's in losers bracket. Tweak is up two games, and they're in game three, and he is three stocks to one. So I can't, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how far in this game is. All, like this whole thing is almost over. Tweak is about to win Evo. He's up two games, and it's the last. It's game three. He has three stocks. MKLeo has one stock. For the for the Yu-Gi-Oh viewers, you have a twenty eight hundred beater on the board with lethal on board. You have three back row, and your opponent has to get through it. 
that, that that's where decking. he's at right now. They're fucking top decking. Yes, so, they're fucking top decking. You have three back row, a twenty eight hundred meter. That's what that that's the position he is in right now. And because MKLeo is such a god, he comes back that game, right? So he wins that game. So now it's two one, and Tweak immediately, visibly starts to crumble in front. Like you can see it visibly, like Stengel was talking about. You can see it happening, and he proceeds to get backdoor three zero that set. But that's not the end. Like it has to go to the next set because they he was in lose like MKLeo was in loser so he won the first set but you have to beat Tweak twice and then Tweak gets destroyed again the next set it's just like I think he just let it mentally destroy him and that's one thing as well with that the thing that many people don't really like fixate on like they're fixating on the narrative of like yeah this player is like falling apart I've been in this position before, and I know for a fact that Frazier knows exactly what I'm talking about because I talk about competition with Frazier where when you're kind of like at the apex of like your game in a competitive environment, you kind of get a little like psych- like psychopathic in terms of the way that you've like feed off someone's emotions. Yes. Um, if you see somebody crumbling like that because of what you're doing to them, you want to do it so much more. You can literally be like, oh, like you're falling apart. Yes. I am going to make you fucking so upset. You, I'm going to, I want you to quit so badly after the set. I'm going to do everything I can to make you feel even worse right now because that's the mental edge that you have on them. Like you can just recognize the situation and be like, oh, like I don't even need to continue playing this well because obviously that's what I'm doing to do this to you. Yeah. I can just play, I can play like, 40% 40% mental game now like I don't even need to be playing this nice anymore if I just keep if I just like keep the keep the needle like keep the needle on the temperature of like how your mental is doing you're crushed yeah that's a real thing uh, I definitely feed off other people's energy as a competitive player uh, and I've had sometimes to recenter myself in between games where I feel like I'm crumbling mentally a bit where I won game one and then game two, I thought I was going to win game two for the two Oh, and then somehow the game slips through my fingers and I end up losing it. And it's really frustrating when it happens because mm-hmm. it's like, damn, I swore I was about to two Oh this guy and somehow I ended up losing. And now you're thinking to yourself, like, what did I do wrong? And you're so focused on that. And you're not really thinking like, okay, I almost two owed them regardless. Like he did come back, but I almost two owed them regardless. Like, I can definitely win this third game and you just take mm-hmm. a breath side deck, you know, do whatever you got to do. And go back in it with a fresh mind. Like, I'm just going to play this game three. Whatever happened game one and two is behind me now. I, I can't control it. It has already happened. Just play the game that's in front of you. Every Take everything one game at a time. Uh, that idea, take it one game at a time, has helped me top so many Yu-Gi-Oh events. I can't stress that enough. I don't, it just came back to me that I used to say this to myself. But I used to always say before every round, when they would say Yu-Gi-Oh players, pairings for round eight are now being posted. I'll be like, as I'm walking to it, I would have my head kind of down. I'd be like, one game at a time, one game at a time, one game at a time. And I'll go to the parents. I sit down in front of my opponent, introduce myself, and I would think about it. Like, okay, game one. Here we go. And that, that just helps me to always think about it. Like, oh, I don't, I'm not necessarily worried so much about round eight. I'm just worried about this one game that I'm playing at the, at this very moment. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the, one of the biggest advice that I'll give to anybody who is trying to pretty much like increase like their player power level and anything they want to do competitive is uh, if you're down, I, I highly advise you, especially if you're playing against someone who's at the top of their game, you need to try your absolute best to not externally show that you're like getting frustrated or you're getting down because 
I'm telling you from experience, if you do that, I will take full advantage of it. Yeah. I will literally just like take that, take that energy that you're putting out there and just like redirect it back at you and just win off of that alone. So there's been so many sets that I've, I've done, I've done something like that. And it's, it's actually just like a super real thing. So on that note, the greatest set of the entire weekend is with well, the greatest singular game of the entire weekend had Stango in it. It's singles. This is the this is Stango goes down. He's down 0-2. Against Thunder. Playing Rain. against a Donkey Kong player. Mm-hmm. And then one of the best playing, playing players of all time, best Donkey you're Kong playing player. Zero suit. And then you switch to Donkey Kong. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and the match starts and you just obliterate you like Wait, run a train. So the guy on. is already playing Donkey Kong? Yeah, the yes. guy is a Donkey he he mains Donkey Kong. And he beats Stango two games in a row. It's, you know, first to three. He beats Stango two games in a row. He's using zero suit. Stango switches the DK and then just rolls him, like obliterates him. And it's like the most convincing, hype, sexiest shit of all time. However, sadly, the guy does win the next game, and that's what knocks Stango out of the tournament. But that singular game was the most exciting game of the entire fucking tournament. So I wanted to... (laughs) Bring that up on, on what we're talking about here. You were down 2-0, and then you made that DK switch, and it looked like you were primed for a big momentum shift. So I want to talk to you about your mindset and that in that specific situation, everything that was going on. Do you think you should have played DK the second game, or maybe you should have, after getting the momentum shift to DK, win switch back to a different character? Uh, I wanted to you know talk to you about that. So a big thing of my journey right now in PM is that like I actually have a lot of characters that I can play in bracket. I can play Zero Suit, I can play Fox. Um and a character that I actually did recently pick up in the last few months is Donkey Kong. Um really, really strong character, insane punish game, uh really good matchup spread. And he's also a thing about like Smash in general because of how technically taxing it is. Uh stop me if I'm wrong, but unlike Yu-Gi-Oh!, I feel like if you are just not currently in the correct mind space to just be playing on your higher technical level it's not it's not like smash where you can just like switch a character to a character you're proficient with but a character that's easier so you get rewarded more for just like the ease of use you're in there with one deck yeah if you're not playing technically well and you're playing something that's skill intensive like that the you know the the mountain that's falling it's going to keep falling yeah but that's true actually what you're saying the other thing is, like, even in Yu-Gi-Oh!, like, let's say you, you go and you you haven't put in your deck list yet, right? It's it's pr- still not even beneficial to be like, all right, well, I'm going to play this deck. It's easier to pilot. It's just like, that deck probably just isn't as good anyway. And so, yeah. like, yeah. if it's, you uh, pilot, probably wouldn't really actually, help you that much. It actually does suck in Yu-Gi-Oh!, I'm glad you brought this point up. This is not something that I talk about often, um, but... And Yu-Gi-Oh, yeah, you're locked into one deck for every tournament. I've never been to a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament where you're allowed to use more than one deck, which honestly, modern Yu-Gi-Oh should start to incorporate that in some way. I'm just thinking about it now. This actually sounds interesting to me. But yeah, you're locked into one deck. So if you've entered with a really skill-intensive deck, high-ceiling deck, uh, and you start to get fatigued, which has happened to me before, I actually lost an ARG. I was in top four. I lost to the guy I drove with, Stephen McMurray. He ended up winning the whole event. I gave him the puppet plant main deck tech and everything before the event. Like we pretty much played the same exact deck card for card and ended up beat me in top four because I literally started to play worse. My match before him, I played against Ben Leverett, who was one of at the time Hoban's disciples. And that match was two hours and 30 minutes. A mirror match. That was two hours and 30 minutes. Now, ARGs, ARGs are not timed. 
when you get the top cut. They're allowed to go as long as they go. So Jim was nice enough to let us go as long as we want it. And me and him both like to, if, if you tell us that we like to play at a very relaxed pace and we also know each other too. So it's not like we're slow playing. It's like, there's no, instead of the slow play, there's no clock. So we just took our time and thought out every single little bit of a move. I ended up beating Ben Leverett. It took everything out of me. Like that was one of the <laughs> hardest matches I ever played. It was so long that the camera cut off at like the hour 30 mark. So that match wow. was fully recorded in history. It's a very, very long, grueling match. <laughs> and so after that, that's top eight. I play against Steve McMurdy in top four, and I'm mentally exhausted. And McMurdy has been waiting for, he, I think he destroyed his, his top eight opponent in, in 30 minutes. So he's been waiting for two fucking hours to play me. Okay? <laughs> so it'd be nice if like icing the kicker could work in, in Yu-Gi-Oh! But that, that, that's not a thing. Like Icing the person means that you make them wait so long that they start to fall out of their... Uh, yeah, they... <laughs> they start to they, fall they out. Get, of they got out of their focus. Yes, they lose their focus. So, and this is I've seen this happen in uh, Smash too. In Smash Ultimate, one of the Japanese players blatantly iced an American player. He like got up, grabbed a drink of water, looked around the room, put his hands on his hips, didn't do anything for like legit five minutes. Everybody was like, "What the fuck is he doing?" And he just like iced the guy. Then he sat back down and beat the shit out of him. So, <laughs> so you can ice people in certain games, but uh, yeah, McMurdy got the, a two hour break. Meanwhile, I went. They were like, "Frazier, you just finished a match. We need you to go right to the uh, the stage to play your next your top four opponent because you took two hours thirty minutes to play the last one." And they were like, "Please, for the love of God, do not let this match be another two hours." It was like I was like, "I mean, I can't control it, but hopefully it doesn't." The match ended up being over an hour long, and yeah, I ended up being just too mentally fatigued. If I could switch my deck to gadgets right there, I would have. <laughs> and the granted gadgets were absolutely unplayable in 2014 when this happened but if i was given the option because of how mentally strained i was i would have switched my deck to gadgets in a heartbeat right there yeah 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 so essentially what what came down to it is that i ended up picking dk just because like i kind of you know for lack of a better word made the meta call that i think having a lot of characters in pm where you can switch out for a lot of matchups for either ease of like ease of use and or just like a better better matchups um ones that you're a little bit more plus in um for me like my main objectives in uh melee type games pm uh what is what is what is the matchup that i can get where like the punish game is the most rewarding because i think when it comes down to smash for me now punish game is everything neutral is all, all great and all you know having a decent neutral but if I hit harder than you and I'm a better player than you, I'm just going to beat you. I don't care how much better your character's neutral is. I don't care if you can wall me out forever. If I'm just a strictly better player than you, I'm probably just better in neutral than you are. So I can overcome the disadvantage of having a weaker neutral game if I kill you more often than you kill me yeah, off of a touch. I agree with yeah. that. In Smash. I watched enough Smash to feel like that's true. Yeah. Punish game is, is huge. And in, in, in every fighting game, like in even in Dragon Ball Fighters, which I, I play a lot of, like and and a lot of team based games and just fighting games in general that have meters right there is this concept sometimes people like hold meter like they they die and they have full meters and it's like you could have <laughs> you could have done something to to like dump that meter and get a kill like there's a lot of times where a round will end and the guy has full meter and it's like if the two combos he did he just used the super he would have already won yeah and, that's uh, true people don't like to push sometimes they are very conservative with their resources and yep. I, I get that, but like at the end of the day, I and I learned this from Silverman. I'm playing to win. I'm not playing to not lose. Yeah. Yep. 
And that's a big difference. If, if, hear what I'm saying. It is I'm playing to win. Plan. I'm not playing to not lose. Very different. Yeah. So the thing about DK, just insane punish game. Overall, his ease in terms of his punish game is really good. And just like he's a little exploitable and neutral in terms of like some characters that are fast or have big disjoints, but his neutral ain't half bad. Uh, he also can just abuse a lot of uh, tactics he like crouch canceling and shit like that, like a lot better than other characters. And crouch canceling generally leads you into a grab. And DK has by far one of the best grabs, if not the best grab in terms of its confirms and what it leads to. Is it the cargo throw? So, yeah, so cargo throw combos into a lot of aerials, and also the forward and back throw or DI mix-ups that combo as well. In ultimate, a lot of people would just see like cargo up throw, ding dong, all that stuff. Yeah. And and PM, it's like super crack. Uh, he kills most characters at 120 plus, no chance, no options. <laughs> um, he can also just rob stocks at 80 percent. Uh, if you DI poorly on a forward and back throw because he can combo into his up smash, which is one of the strongest smash attacks in the game. Uh, he's just he's just bust. He's really, really good. So I picked him up. Now, my plan for Thunder's Reign going into that set was to actually DK Ditto him because I think I could beat him in the DK Ditto. I think in terms of how I play DK, the shit I abuse with him in terms of his broken stuff, I think like I would pretty much be the best DK if I solo mained him, but like he kind of goes against my like uh, ideology of like, I want the yeah. easiest punish easiest. Like I want the easiest time for me to implement my game plan, which is kill. Yeah, Cause there's, I there's, kill. Some, there's some matchups where playing DK is just like frustrating. Yeah. I just don't want to grind. I don't want to grind with you. I want, I want to kill you. It's, yeah, it's yeah. as if I only want to play OTK decks in Yu-Gi-Oh! Like every matchup. I, if, if it's a matchup where I have to grind in, I just want to OTK instead. Um, That's understandable. So, you, so, so going into it, why, so you go zero suit the first two games. Did you cycle so yourself I, out? I, 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 uh, I snake charmed myself. Um, I played a set with Nogue earlier in that day, and I played really nice in zero suit DK. Like, I 100% was going DK ditto against Thunder's Reign. But after that Nogue set, Nogue's not as good as Thunder's, but I definitely snake charmed myself. I'm like, maybe this, uh, maybe I can do it this way. Um, that's definitely been like a, uh, a growth point for me in PM is, uh, between all the characters I play, I truly think there's a right decision to make with what character I'm supposed to play in certain matchups. And I'm figuring out more and more DK's a, a newer part of the element. So I'm not surprised that I made a mistake, but not going DK dittos was, was definitely a mistake. So it is Fox. Do you not like the Fox matchup at all? Cause I, I saw your zero suit. You, you, I'm, like you're good, you're good at the game. You had a good yeah, yeah. suit, but every time mm -hmm. I watched you play, every time I saw you play Fox, I was like, man, like it felt like your Fox. You were clicking so much more when you when you played Fox. You were always like mm -hmm. moving yeah. more than with Zero Suit. So that so would is, be a thing Fox as well. DK, like, what is that? Is Where that part of good? the Trinity of the characters that I play, Fox is the oldest of it. So I've already figured him out. I know everything about where I'm playing Fox. My sets against Lucas, my sets against uh, Sheik, like the reason why you felt that like that clear, really focused, uh, confident in choices and efficient in play is because he's the oldest part of the Trinity. He's yeah, the yeah. most understood of where he needs to be. So when it comes to Zero Suit, Zero Suit's like pretty much figured out. It's just more so just like practicing her because like I don't practice her as much as I do Fox because he's a little bit more important because he's harder to play. 
Yeah. And like DK is the newest part of it, but DK is so freaking easy that like I honestly get a lot of games whenever I do go DK and bracket just because of like he's just he's just so damn easy to play. Easier, yeah. Yeah. But, so, so on that note though, Fox DK, do you think that matchup isn't like does DK win that matchup? Is there a reason why you didn't like going you didn't consider Fox there? So Fox definitely wins the matchup, but it just goes against like what I personally view it in terms of I, I don't think that fits the uh the the game plan of what I want to do. It's like okay. that matchup, DK can abuse a lot of crouch canceling. He chain grabs Fox zero to death like on, on almost every stage. He gimps the shit out of Fox. He abuses so crouch vol- canceling. It's volatile. It's too volatile. And I have to grind. Like I up throw up throw up air, which is like a standard melee confirm with Fox, does not work on DK. Uh he isn't entirely easy to edge guard in terms of being off stage. Um it's just like it's a little too it's a little too grinding. Like you can rob stocks against DK because like Shine he can't really recover like low because yeah, Shine yeah. just sends you below the ledge and you're just kind of dead. But that's not happening every time. Like I'm looking at on like what's the average value that I would get out of this matchup, and it's like I would be grinding more often than I'm robbing. Yeah. And honestly, in a game like Smash, because of how volatile punish games are, I want to rob more than grind. I don't want to play straight up with anybody because if I'm just better than you and I get to rob you. And like you, you have no chance against me. Damn. That's that's just how I've kind of seen. I've taken I've taken my game more focused. Where like I used to be really fixated on like neutral and like a lot of decision trees. Where now I just like I put a lot, try to put a lot of pressure in terms of the matchup that I play and like the options that I choose. Where it's like I'm getting I'm getting more of like an average like outcome instead of like something my opponent can influence a lot. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, dude, the DK did it when I when I watched it. You know, you lost the zero suit. You mm-hmm. just you kind of just lost when you switch the DK. The fucking energy in the in the room, man. Like I was popping off. The the commentators were popping off because yeah. it was such a convincing momentum shift game. Yeah, uh, and it looked like you know you you could have rode that momentum and and killed them the next two games and and kept going. But he. It seemed like he pulled himself together and he was like, wait a minute, I know how to use DK too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Smash PM, I want to say, I'm guessing the heavies are actually viable because I saw you fighting against the fucking Charizard too, and that did not look like it was easy for you at all. Yeah, that's like kind of, um, that's a matchup that I think kind of looked more grindy than it actually is. I think there's just some efficiency things. Like, I've I've historically had, like, a pretty bad, like, uh, matchup against, like, that particular player, Kais. Okay. Like, I've lost to him twice now. Um, first time was, like, kind of bad. This time, I was obviously up 3-0, and he sweeped me. Yeah, um, that's what I... Okay, I did see that correctly, right? You were up. Yeah. Um. So, in general, like, that's just something I have to kind of, like, pull together. But uh, I think Zero Suit's the correct choice in this in this case. Um, but yeah, heavies are pretty good in PM. There's, it's not like heavy dominated, but like a lot of the characters in terms of like what traditionally is good in melee, like all the melee top tiers are comboable. Like I'm talking oh, about yeah. top tiers. I'm not talking about like everyone in the top eight because like Yoshi's not really comboable. Peach is like not really comboable for a lot of characters. But the top tier, Sheik, Falcon, Fox, Falco, Marth, like those are comboable characters. A lot of the time in PM, though, there's characters that you can't really combo all that well. Wario is a pretty big, big yeah, example. Guys. Donkey Kong is a little difficult, difficult to combo, even though he's a big body. It's like surprisingly hard to get him in a position where he's vulnerable to get hit a lot of times. Hmm, um, interesting. And some yeah, of the so big heavy- bodies, 
in PM. Yeah, heavies like are definitely definitely on the uh, stronger side. They're definitely the strongest iteration of their archetype. Yeah, like um, all Smash. Of probably PM and then Smash Ultimate. Because yeah. PM was community balanced, and they you know they were trying to make a game like the most fun and most balanced like Smash game. Mm-hmm. A lot of the heavies have some love in them, so that they're not like DK's really nice. He's been nice for a while. Bowser's actually pretty nice. I don't know where he's on the tier list, but Bowser does some pretty cool stuff. He's got some unique things. The way his yeah. man grab works is really cool. And yeah, he, he's he's uh, he's not like um, high tier or anything like that. But the thing about PM that I actually like the most, like even though there are some characters that are like pretty obnoxious in the way that they just play, they're just kind of degenerate in nature, like Ganondorf and Bowser and like some other characters. <laughs> the thing I love about PM is that I really personally think that the game currently isn't there right now. It could be where this isn't true. But I think there's like not even like a D tier level character in this game. I think every character can re- realistically, with a good player, can make a top eight right now. Yeah, I think you can see a nice D to I think you can see a Ganondorf. I think you can see like a Squirtle. And these aren't like characters that are like considered like even good. Like D to D is generally uh, regarded as one of the worst characters. But like the the power level of the cast is just like really well done. It's just the some of the top tiers are just like a little too much is the is the main thing. Yeah, and I think what I'm noticing when I watched you play PM at the this theater, the summit, like Charizard, the heavy that I saw you fighting against, it this is true in all of the games, but they're just really hard to fucking kill. Yes. Like, he yep. would just live way longer than you, and that was valuable in that matchup against Zero Suit. He would just live longer. Yeah. So like you you come down from the platform and yeah, the Charizard is at like 120, but one hit is not going to kill his Charizard, basically. It still was like a fucking fight, and he put some damage on it before he would die. Before he, you know, before you he took did the like stock. 30 to 40, yeah, and then that's a prime percent for him to continue like to the next stock. Yes, and it just continued like that. I was like, I noticed what's happening. You're just killing him later than he's killing yep. you. He's obviously killing you earlier because fucking Zero Suit is light, I assume. She's fast as shit. So, like, she's not the hardest character to kill. And then you have Charizard here where you're hitting him with all types of crazy shit. And even the commentators thought like, oh, he's dead. And then he would just DI, hey, I guess, and, and just not die and come back. And like every time that happens, it's just really frustrating. It's, I think also mentally, too, when you think like they're dead right there and they're just not. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah. say that's a very demoralizing thing in Smash Ultimate. My uh, original like character I was going to main in Smash Ultimate was Young Link because like I love Young Link. I love Zelda. He's so cool. Young Link just cannot kill. And so I remember I would play games of Smash Ultimate where I, I get my opponent to like 170. Yep, that's an average percent that he kills at. <laughs> and then like I get I, I don't get my kills to 170, but I die at 90. And it became yeah, so, so light. Because like Young Link's really good. He can control. Yeah. But the amount you have to grind, like what Nick was saying earlier, Young Link is very good, but he's a grinder. He doesn't just win. And so yeah. like even though Ganon's worse... I just fucking switched to Ganon, and it's like, yeah, technically this is a worse character, but when I hit you, I kill you. Yeah, meanwhile, yeah. fucking My name, my name is here. Scam, my name's not Grind. That's meanwhile, my name. I want to scam. Taking life, <laughs> taking stocks away at, like, 50. Yes. Like, yeah, if Violet like, hits you off stage with a Nair and follows it up with a Fair, you are dead at 50. You're you dead. got You got hit by Nair at 50 near the ledge, you fell off the stage, and I ran out in there and, and fared you. You are dead. Like, your character, MKLeo's done it so many times, is yeah. one of the most classic kill confirms at this point, and it's, like, super ignorant. <laughs> so getting somebody yeah. to 170 just isn't happening. Like, right now, I play, you know, Ganon, I play Terry, 
Kazuya. Yeah. I, I want to. I try to play Sora, but he's so light and floaty. It's hard. Yeah. Like, he's just not a character that I'm ever. I'm not usually good with the game's floaty players. enough for me. Like I can't, I I can't do that. Yeah. Did you, like yeah, Ganon, Terry, Kazuya. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Ryu is uh, peop, uh, Ryu is slowly creeping back into the meta, and so people are playing him a lot more. They're playing Ken, and they're saying that he might be like the best fighting game character in the game now. Because I believe the finals of a Japanese tournament on Golden Week, which was last week, I believe, uh, Golden Week just happened in Japan. And a Steve won the tournament, so now everyone's saying like, "Oh, Steve!" A I need people to stop crying. There's so many people that I, I swear I don't even really follow Ultimate that closely. Yeah. Every other month, I hear talk about people wanting the band Steve, and I'm like, "You guys have to fucking relax." Yeah. So yeah, I, Steve does when, not. When it comes when it comes to Steve, honestly, I love him because when I watch Ultimate. I like watching really high level play, but everything else, like I'm good on all that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the thing about too. Steve is that pools. I I love the chaotic like just aura that he just adds he to the so game. Sick. Like every Steve time there's a Steve on the like I don't think he's sick. I think he's super he's whack. So but I love every time he's so playing because I know watch. the other player is suffering. There's I'm a, like, yes, this is exactly named, what I want to see. There's a 15 year old named A Cola. A cola. Yes, um, and he Fortnite dances every time he takes a stock. That's okay. that's the top level Steve player I need to see. That's okay, so, so you know you know it's this so person. cringe, but it's so yes. Strange. He's 15 years old. He uh, took a tournament over Proto Banham. All the top Japanese players that we know, like every single one, <clears> Ken, <throat> T, everyone in Japan who's a name, like the top, their top five outside of. The only one who wasn't there was Zachary. Zachary's been playing Pokemon United, um, so he's taking a break from Smash. Oh, no, yeah, th- that's what everyone. <laughs> oh, else he's says. gone. He's yeah. gone. Uh, so he's kind of <laughs> taking a break from Smash, but everyone else who's top five in Japan, this guy beat in this tournament and uh, during Golden Week with Steve, and his finals match was against a Ryu, and people were like, "How the fuck did this happen?" But the Ryu just played really, really nice. And I was watching some of the matches earlier today, and I was what, listening to a podcast called Tweak Talks, which is featuring like um, Ultimate's player Tweak and a couple other people, and they were just saying like how St- Steve could potentially. As his tech, his tech is developing every month. He could potentially be the best character in the game. Because at first, when he, you know, when he first came out, I was like, ah, it's kind of a meme, right? Like he's not real. Every month, there's been a new Twitter post from people who just lab Steve that has pushed his meta. And this is what I love about Smash. This is something that I fucking love about Smash. You have your initial perceptions of a character when they first come out, or just when the game first comes out and everyone's already there in the roster, right before the DLC even starts. And everybody has their opinions and their thoughts about who's the best, who's the worst, who's unplayable, who's whatever, right? And they put them into these boxes, and then months and months go by, even sometimes years go by. Oh, and, yeah. you, and some new tech comes out, and it just change, it increases that character's stock by so much. So this, recently, all this new Steve tech has been coming out, and it's been pushing his mm-hmm. meta, and everyone's afraid. And also, Gimmer just <laughs> came out with some new tech for Smash Ultimate in general. Like, that's not yeah. even character specific it's called the slingshot and that so it's nice it's really really nice so this is going to change ultimate like this is one of ultimate's biggest changes um because this is a this is movement is generic movement for every single character in the game some benefit from it more than others the same way wave dashing is like akin to wave dashing is like it benefits some players some characters slide really far some players don't egg, and yes. some characters don't yeah for exact for example lucas slingshotting it looks ridiculous like it looks like a glitch with him for real because he goes so far uh whereas a character like fox doesn't really need slingshotting to be perfectly honest fox is so hard to punish in smash ultimate already he already has such a oppressive game that he doesn't need 
the um the perks from from the slingshot like obviously he can use it but he doesn't need it what i love about it though and this is so cool to me is that initially a buffer system was considered a detriment to ultimate it's one of the worst things about the game for most players um and essentially what they've done what gimmer has done is found a way to exploit the buffer system is a way that slingshot is possible it's not possible in any other game it's possible because of the buffering system it buffers like a revert like a i r r on the earliest possible frame after an action so like essentially it only works because the game is picking up what you're pressing while something else is happening and registering it to come out next so it's not humanly possible in every other game but in this game it's like it's an exploit of the buffering system so now they're using the buffering system to make the game better and i think that that is that's amazing like that's really fucking cool that it's being now used in a way like there are some things that buffering does do really well i know i used to play inkling as my main up throw up air you can buffer it i grab you right and while i'm pummeling i can literally flick my c stick up and hold it and then when i press up and like as i'm holding it my character will jump like if i have on if i've tapped something like my character will jump up with the up air and then I just press, I just press the A button and they'll just do up air, up there, up air for me. Like, I don't have to do anything. It's really simple. So just stuff like that. I think it's really cool that the Smash community will find a way to push the meta of even one character and make that character marginally better. It's not going to be like, oh, this breaks the game so much. Like, it's not the discovery of, let's say, L canceling, but it's enough to push the game further than it was a week ago. And they have videos of MK Leo labbing it. Uh, tweak labbing it uh, esam oh my god pikachu like there's a lot of the top players using it already showed what pyramids can do it they said that for sorties it's insane like marf mk leo was labbing it with marf and they were like marf actually looks like he's decent like like legitimately you couldn't punish him fucking crossing up your shield and throwing out aerials he goes so far away from you it's like i can't he's already using a sword right so they were already kind of safe but now it's like, there's just, just forget about it. So <laughs> it's just really cool to see what the slingshot, the quick shot and all this other stuff. They got like four different yep. types of shots. Um, but I just love that smash as a community that does that. Like they push and push and push. And like, to some extent this happens in Yu-Gi-Oh too. Like decks will get tweaked as the format goes on, but formats end so fast in Yu-Gi-Oh, right? They go like three months and then a ban list comes out and whatever was wrong with the deck or whatever somebody might've been able to fix if it went on longer, it just gets patched with a an actual ban list. Yeah, that's that's something that it's like uh, obviously it's good, but it's something that in the current video game culture that I hate. I do hate patches to some degree. Like Me I too. hate when they're too often. Like patches are nice, but I I like when patches are a really long view. So there's a culture that happens in a lot of competitive games. Like you see in Overwatch and fucking League of Legends and just every game and a lot of fighting games, Dragon Ball, etc where guilty gear strive something happens something's really good and then a bunch of the player base goes like oh this is terrible i'm just gonna wait for it to get patched like oh i'm not playing right now i'm waiting i'm gonna wait for the patch i'm gonna this needs to get patched that needs to get patched oh that's broke and it's like in other games like melee where it couldn't get patched people just kept playing the game and yeah. eventually they figured out like oh i can actually deal with it this way you, you can do it and so nothing is as broken as you think it is the first week that it happens right like you give it a longer view and there's time Bro, for it to get better. People thought Sephiroth was top five. It's funny because one of the earlier Tweak Talk podcasts, 
um, let's say in his first 10 or so episodes, Sephiroth had come out, Sephiroth had been out for a couple months, and they were doing tier lists. This is a common thing in every fighting game community, you know, tier list, it gets a lot of clicks, a lot of views. So they did a tier list podcast episode, and everyone on the podcast, there's four people talking always, everyone on the podcast has Sephiroth is top five, maybe even number one, right? Sephiroth is not even top 10. Not Rinse, not even yeah. n- not even top twenty in Smash Ultimate now. Like people realize, Sephiroth has a lot of problems. He can't really swing. His frame data is actually horrible. Um, we, we knew his frame data was horrible, but like people were like, "Oh, one wing makes him like way higher on the tier list," which is true. It's just that one wing doesn't take him very far because they also made him light as fuck. He's as light as Mewtwo. So no matter what he has, one hit from Byleth is still killing Sephiroth, one wing or not. And I'm gonna get one hit. Like it's not. The craziest thing, I'm using a fucking... We're both using long-range weapons. Byleth's fair and bear are far as shit. Has some you really can only nice play stuff. so much to not get hit. Yeah, like... And, until and it he, happens. And when he swings, it's such a commitment. Like, any sort move... And Tweak is a Sephiroth player, right? He plays Sephiroth and Diddy. So he speaks to, like, the problem why he pretty much has to drop Sephiroth in tournament. Like, he doesn't use Sephiroth in tournaments. Um, he said, the reason why I can't really play the character is because... At the end of the day, every single time you see me hit somebody, I had to guess. Whereas... There are things with Diddy that aren't possible for you to react to, and they're not possible for you to get out of. Like, this is a frame trap, or this is just a safe aerial. Like, this back air on your shield is safe. It either hits you, you either jump, and I hit you with the back air, or you shield it, and you can't do anything after that. So, like, Sephiroth doesn't have anything like that. He can't just throw out sword attacks for free. He can only abuse his range, but they're all too slow. They're not like Marth, where like he he at a at a moment's notice he closes down space yes. because the move is fast. Yes, for and, Sephiroth, and, and it's like cancels. a full commitment to try to control the space. Sephiroth doesn't have any good auto cancels either. So like when he throws out fair or an up air, I don't know if you ever seen what happens after Sephiroth throws out an up air, but he crouches after he lands on the ground and he stays there for a good. Yeah, his landing lag is really long. Is, unreal how long an up air takes him to recover from now granted his up airs range is insane right so like they tried to make him balanced but they overdid it so he just he just needs a bit more work uh, i'm not going to count him out because again the whole point of this is that like they the meta keeps developing and they were saying well a slingshot could really help him possibly uh but it's just interesting that at one point people thought sephiroth was the best character in the game they had him as top two like next to joker and he's just not even... Cl- I don't think he'll ever be as close to Joker and Pikachu. Like, ever. I don't think that will ever... I don't know what will happen in the future. But without a really big patch to the game, right? I don't think that his meta could be pushed far enough to make him on Joker and Pikachu's level. I don't one think that's thing, a hot take. One thing I think that a lot of people don't really think about, especially fighting game players, is that when they say meta of, like, what characters in re- meta... They're only looking at like what's actually good right now instead of like what gets good because of what is currently good right now. I think characters have different exponential value based on what is currently that's true. Uh, thought upon because, to be good right uh, now. Apparently, Sephiroth ruined Steve. <laughs> yeah, apparently, so it's like that is one of Se- his best. If Steve, if Steve is the in meta, like you know rising character right now yeah. the stock the stock of seth rock gets a lot more valuable because if there's more steves trying to pick up steve or there's just like more steves in general tweet could be like oh i'm losing to steve i'll go seth Roth. this is yeah. a good matchup Appar- like, apparently seth Roth, i guess because like you know steve is a very uh a campy player right like it's a campy character naturally by just nature of the character 
and Sephiroth does well. I get like I, he could do things. anyone who doesn't want to run Sephiroth down. He is cool with that. He's like, yes. you know what? This Se- is fine. Sephiroth loses to Fox, for example, and Sheik and characters who are fucking in his face constantly and not afraid to get close because they know that he can't really swing his sword. Right. It's such a commitment to swing your sword. So it's like you're a swordie. But are you really a swordie? Like Sweet said, I don't even consider Sephiroth to be a swordie anymore. Like he said, I think it's that. I think his disadvantage is that bad. He can't do anything out of disadvantage either. That's another thing. Sephiroth has nothing out of disadvantage. He has no move to get. If he's if Sephiroth is above you, do what you want. He can't do anything out of disadvantage. So like, there are just problems with the character that they thought that one wing was like the end all be all to take away because like you get an extra jump, your damage goes up thirty percent, you're faster, and you know all these cool things. But at the end of the they day, it's like I could have told him. I remember me and you were talking about this early on yeah. in Sephiroth being made. It, Sephiroth coming out, I mean, is that it's unfortunate because you can tell that Sephiroth was bound, ba- like Joker was made. Yep. And all the DLC after Joker was balanced around Joker. Yep. Like, if Sephiroth came out before Joker, One Wing wouldn't go away. You know what I mean? But like, yes, One Wing just one goes wing away. One Wing would never, ever go away. Also, it would come on earlier. He would just have less landing lag as well. He would have way less landing lag. It would come on earlier. There would be he if Sephiroth was the first DLC. He would have DLC, throw combos. He would have throw combos that are actually like like, like across the cast, undeniable. Yeah, like Joker does. Joker literally mm-hmm. can down throw forward air, down throw back air, uh, up throw up air. Every character in the game, like Joker, has no one plays Joker right now. It's still the, this is by far the strangest thing for me uh, because he is potentially the best character in the game. Like it is a. High chance that Joker is the actual best character in Smash Ultimate, and literally no one at a top level is playing him. Joker hasn't been in the top eight of any tournament in the last like two years. Like that's not even cat. Like Joker has just you know not you played. know why that is because we talked about this when we watched Summit. Uh, I feel like it's just you know this is confirmation bias for me, but I feel like it's just more to my to my thought of like Joker scams when he has Arsene, but Arsene isn't here all the time. Byleth scams every time yes. she's on the screen. Byleth is a scam. Yeah, but a lot of people don't even play Byleth either. Yeah, yeah but what I'm saying is Byleth. she's an example of a character that's like, she's not here to fuck around and play the game. Yeah, She's what trying you, to end it now. What I think it is, personally, is that I think Smash is still a game where people really like to identify with their character. Yep, I love and they that. really, really like certain characters. So even if Joker, for example, in Melee, Puff is absurd, but there's more Falco players than Puff players, even though it's it's a lot harder at, at a high level. At low level, Falco like stomps, but at high level, it's harder to win with Falco than it is with Puff. But like a lot of people still don't play Puff in Melee, and I personally think it's because like <laughs> when people get in the Melee, they just want to have fun. And like when a lot of times when you get in the Melee, you get in the Melee because you saw Marth do something crazy yeah, or Falco do something crazy. For me. It's rarely that you get in the melee because you saw like Puff and Peach fucking not interact for three minutes. Like that's not yeah. why people get in the melee. So Puff and Peach are insane, but there's so many less Puff Peach players because they're not the reason. They're not what draws people to melee. Yeah, I think what you said the the first thing though is the key. People identify with who they play with in yeah. Ultimate hard as shit. Like Tilde is a Falco player. Uh, Cola is a Roy player, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Spargo started online with Cloud. Uh, Aegis came out, Pyramithra. He switched to them for a while, could not get a tournament win with them at all, right? 
even when he was really close, MK11 just wouldn't let him win a single tournament with ages. Not one. <laughs> Not nope. one. Still can't have no. a baby on many occasions, right? We watched it for you. know why? Period. Because he was Robin. He said, I'm a scam with Violet. And you're gonna then, you're gonna try to play honest with Mithra. And then Spargo switched back to his true main, right? His true main. Who did you really start playing this game? with it was cloud he's been yep. winning tournaments he just won the last tournament with cloud uh and he's been playing with cloud constantly as opposed to just playing pyrometer who people think is also maybe the best character in the game right so it's like it's really interesting to see how like esam for example only plays pikachu and this is across every game it's not like it's not like he's like oh pikachu's the best in this game so i'm gonna play pikachu in this game no he plays him he always, always plays pikachu. He, he identifies yep. with pikachu you think of esam you Except think of pikachu Mela. sure but you think yeah, of pikachu played. you think of esam um at least lately i'll say since in melee who yeah. do you play he plays, he plays his name, Samus. That's okay. what Esam is. It's Eric Samus. Okay. His, his name is Lily. But he plays Pikachu in every other game. Yes. So he's a Pikachu main, like, mostly. And and a lot of players who play Ultimate, like, there's a there's a Sephiroth player. His name is Ned, and he only plays Sephiroth, basically. There's a, a guy named Bacon. I think he plays Dr. Mario, who actually did really well at this last... Even his last tournament or the one before that, there was two back-to-back. There was, like, Genesis, then there was Pound, I think. And, uh... He got like top sixteen, I think, with Doctor Mario. Doctor Mario is considered maybe the worst character in Ultimate. Like, there's a there's a case that he is possibly the worst character in the entire game. Like, even worse than Little Mac. <laughs> so, like, because Little Mac, they they actually compared them. They said, well, let's compare him to who people might think is the worst character in the game. Little Mac. Little Mac has the best air drift in the entire game. In the air, when Little Mac is coming towards the stage, he moves faster than any other character in the game, basically. So, like, it's like Little Mac, Jigglypuff, Yoshi, you know. The characters who you expect to move, but people don't know that Little Mac actually drifts towards the stage better than any other character in Ultimate, essentially. That's a fucking rant. They just literally won't buff his recovery, his recovery moves, but they'll just give him Jesus well, Drift. That's, actually, that is a goddamn rant. Well, actually, in this game, because in Smash 4, he would do side B, he goes in a free fall. Yeah. And his up he can B, act out of it now. Right? He can do side B, then up B now. So, like, he's like Fox now, how Fox can do side B, then up B. So, his recovery, yeah. his recovery got better. It's still not the best recovery, but in terms of recoveries now we're comparing him to dr mario let's keep this in the context kenny yeah, probably knows dr mario's sure. recovery is awful i'm sure at some point kenny tried to play dr mario on ultimate and you probably know his recovery <laughs> is fucking unplayable yes it is and i think this is objective it is the worst recovery in ultimate i think yes. dr mario's recovery is the worst recovery in the entire game out of 80 fucking six characters Dr. Mars recovery is that bad i don't think you can name another character it's like obviously bad. the worst too it's, it, yeah, it's, it's like it, it's because it's, it's like there's so many characters you could just be like oh well what about this one than like, though i think ganon's recovery is worse than Dodger. bro no 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 ganon actually goes way further and like ganon's recovery even with tornado though because doc's tornado still does something in ultimate like his tornado gives height it's it leaves the problem is that it leaves him so vulnerable yeah, I haven't it's, used Doc since like early. In, it's in, so much. You know what, Kenny? You, you haven't used Doc because you're traumatized. So Edge, you're, so you're Edge, not remembering. Edge Garden has gotten so much better. Go ahead. I just don't, don't like him. I don't like him in Ultimate. The main thing, because like I mained him in four. He was one of my mains. The main big thing that I don't use him in Ultimate is his. They nerfed his up tilt. His up tilt doesn't scoop. Like it only kind of hits like above him. It doesn't really scoop from in front of him anymore. And just that one change made me like not really enjoy playing them and so, so they were talking about this like what a, his tornado right this is brought up and uh i believe it was tweet talks where this discussion even happened the problem with dr mario and like why he's has the worst recovery is because if dr mario is ever forced to recover uh low you know he has to do the tornado 
Yeah, and yeah. is so blatantly exploited because edge guarding has gotten better. And this is what hap- this happens with every Smash game. Like this is obviously you guys know this, but just for people who are listening to this podcast, edge guarding in all Smash games gets better as time goes on. People just yep. learn how to edge guard better, and they learn how to edge guard specific characters even better than that. Right. So like what's happening now, because the meta is heavy on the fucking Byleths of the world, the Pyramithras, they're just going out against him because they know he can't do anything if he has to recover low. Like if he's low coming up to the stage, you know he has to he has to do uh jump, tornado, up B. Like that's what he has to do. There's yeah, no yeah. secret that's gonna happen. And the tornado's just really, really open to getting dared or just gimped by a lot of dumb shit in Ultimate right now. So he's just not like I saw Steve go out and put a block right there, and that shit was hilarious. Like he just went out, left the little block. <laughs> That's and what I'm saying. Steve is sick, yo. I love the blocks. So <laughs> he put a yo, block yo. Out, see, the thing is, you're saying sick. I think it's sick for the same reason. Like it makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> nah, but I also love it. Like I'm telling you, like I just need, <laughs> I need the top, like the best player in the game to play Steve. He's 15. And he dabs every time he takes a stop. Yeah. Like That's I need is this fact? Does he actually do that? No, 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 no. I'm like I'm entirely memeing, but okay. this is what I want. Like this is yeah, literally yeah, yeah. what I want. <laughs> That's the thing. You said like, Fortnite dances the first. Time. Yes, I want him to fucking floss like every time he takes a stock. It would like make me so goddamn happy because I know everyone, as far as the general community, would just hate it. And it's just like I don't know something about it. Just get, it's it's a sick pleasure that that yeah, I just yeah. want to see. I, look, he's definitely a character that I would hate to play against, but oh my I, god, I, I would. I would play against them, against but him I would yet. love, love to watch people f- try to fight. I've against never them. played against a Steve yet in my entire life. I've been playing Ultimate since it came out. And I don't play it often, but I have never played against Steve not once because no, no one in our group is gay enough to play him. So it's just kind of <laughs> like he just kind of like stays unpicked. <laughs> like, no, but that's what it is. It would, have, it would have to be. We're also. <laughs> not young enough right like that's yeah. the thing that's cool is that he's he's you know the he really is the young younger. man's character yeah like, younger why people is love that him. oh it's because minecraft is a young game yeah yeah it's yeah. Literally, yeah it's a it's a young game like that's in, why... in, in in general like to the audience oh, of the i didn't game. know that yeah, yeah. i thought minecraft was like uh, like you have teen, you have you have teen, grew, it is it is really technically we like we didn't know we didn't grow up with minecraft minecraft came out like what 10 years ago 11 years yeah ago? no what oh, i'm saying is, is that it, 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 it is relative to our time as far as like we we were kind of here for like the beginning and okay. like really I mean, when it got big but no, 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 it is thought, it is the young man's game yeah. i thought it was like i thought me and kenny so, when we were 14 minecraft was out that's just not no, no, no you're fucking this slow is, <laughs> this is what i'm saying though and this is why i do think like i was some of my friends that are my age were super hating when Steve got at it. And they were like super, super hating. I was like, yo, I was like, you need to not do that. I was like, you have to understand that Steve being added to the game, like that's the banjo for the generation under us. Like we have friends that are, you know, 22, 23 years old. They literally grew up playing Minecraft. So Steve getting in the smash is like like a, a really big moment for them. Whereas like for us, we don't care. We didn't grow up with Minecraft, but for them, it's really, really big and important. Like, yeah. don't be, don't be a corny boomer and be like, "Oh, Minecraft shouldn't be in Smash." Like, just you know, relax. Yeah, like, you're excited. Banjo's in. Smash Those twenty-two long... year olds don't give a fuck about Banjo. They're like, listen, "Who the fuck is this stupid ass bear? Yeah. Get him out of the game." Listen, my Steve can be in Minecraft as long as he's putting people on minecarts, throwing them off the stage, blocking the recovery with blocks, and m- making people salt. He so, he can do he can do all that. I'm fine quick, with that. This is a, a bit of a, a, a side switch, um, but we're we're getting close to two hours. And before we end up wrapping up, I you know we can still talk about something after this. But I wanted to 
touch on something real quick, going back to PM Theater. At the end, after you lost, you gave an interview, and you talked about how Lawn Chair has reach. For anybody that doesn't know, Stango's original tag, like his tag in Smash was Lawn Chair. And he was talking about it, and I remember years ago when you decided to change Lawn Chair, not your tag anymore, you just went by Stango. I was like, dude, don't do it. Lawn Chair is such a sick tag. And then, like, it's really funny. So you're at the tournament, you're talking about how, you know, you're like, oh, some people, like, people knew Lawn Chair. And then, like, one of the other commentators, I don't remember his name, but he was like, nobody knows Lawn Chair. I'm watching, and I'm getting hyped because I was like, Lawn Chair is the best. But I'm looking at Twitch chat. Twitch, yep. when you said that you were Lawn Chair, the entire Twitch chat was like, wait, that's Lawn Chair? That's Meta Knight Dive Kick Lawn Chair? That's yeah. Dive Kick Lawn Chair? That's Meta Knight Lawn Chair? Like, the whole fucking Twitch chat knew who Lawn Chair was and knew about, like, Meta, Kit, Meta Knight Dive Kick Lawn Chair. Like, the whole fucking Twitch chat was piping up. And I was like, God damn it, man. He, it has reached like the funny thing too is that i was a horrible player at the time it's just like that's the that's the beautiful thing about the smash scene that i think like no other esport or really any competitive game can even emulate it's like even the scrubs are fucking famous yeah like they're they're like there's just literally bad players like a perfect example of this even though this is mango's friend dunk uh is like yeah, yeah. he's just pretty much just like almost in a sense just like a normal california player he's never really placed anywhere well but he's like a fucking meme like legend in in like the california pm scene like people love dunk everyone knows about him like mango shits on him on a stream and he makes fun of him yeah. like back in back in the day and it's like that that's just like i, I don't know it's just something that i don't think i really ever see like in any other kind of um any other kind of scene cool though is because there's there's some everybody knew lawn chair but they also knew the meta that you played in which was the meta night dive kick and here's Mm -hmm. the thing you say you were terrible back then but there's merit to how good you were in that for example fraser when he won ycs atlanta he won with gravekeepers fraser would you argue that two years three years four years later you were a better Yu-Gi-Oh player than when you won the ycs yeah way better but when you won the YCS, in part, it was that meta call. Yes. When you were playing Meta Knight as Lawn Chair, you were one of the only players that realized how absolutely unfucking fair his dive kick was. Meta Knight doesn't even have this move anymore. But yeah, they it's, gave it's Meta Knight a dive they kick. They gave him an entirely different move because and it was that broken. When Lawn Chair was ruining people, like that's why you were <laughs> like you were known as Meta Knight Dive Kick Lawn Chair. Because yeah. even though you're a better player now, you saw that, like, wait a second. For whatever reason, the rest of the community doesn't realize this move is unfair. There really wasn't Meta Knight players. That is true. That is true. Yeah, like, during, nobody during was that playing time when I played. And I remember at that time, we like us, our group, we were calling the game Project Meta Knight. But, like, yep. nobody else was. Yeah. Yep. So, wait. In Project M, Meta Knight had a dive kick, or this is yeah. yeah. So in, in like, PM, like, like with PM, because what Kenny was talking about, where like the patches would add new characters. A lot of and these like characters got like redesigns to some of the actions of their kit. Yeah. Meta Knight obviously had a shit ton of problematic moves from Brawl, so they've replaced this broken ass Brawl down air with a what they thought a normal down air, but it but was literally cool about what, it is the other thing that PM did, like Sakurai does is they tried to, like, give people moves that, that made sense with other games. For example, DK, they got rid of that stupid dash attack that he has where he, like, puts his what foot fucking up. fucking stanky yeah, foot. He puts he his foot a, up. He does a barrel roll. They he gave does, him the roll, roll, 
And then they actually, in Smash 4, gave DK the role, but PM did it first, and that role is from Donkey Kong's games. Anyway. Yeah, they also, um, like, as far as, like, uh, another thing from PM. um, Oh, I think I know. Go ahead. I'm trying to think. I'm I'm actually trying to think the exact example is that there's actually another move as well that was in PM PM first that they also pretty much stole. They gave DK and Diddy's dash attack very cool mechanics. In Donkey Kong Country, if you do um, their dash attack, DK like rolls and uh, Diddy does a cartwheel. You can do it off of a ledge and then you can carry that momentum into a jump. So in Donkey Kong Country, you can't air jump. But if you're in your roll, you can cancel your roll into a jump. They actually gave that like momentum, that, that like a momentum ability to DK and Diddy's dash attack in uh in PM where you can roll off of the ledge and like carry your momentum. But anyway, in Kirby games, Meta Knight has like this attack where he puts a sword under him and he basically does a dive kick. So they they gave Meta Knight that move that he has in other games, and um they gave it to him in PM. And then Stanger, you can finish talking about what uh what that meant for the game. Uh, the move was just cracked. It was unacceptable. It was broken. Uh, there was also other things that were unacceptable and broken about Meta this, Knight. I want to see this move now. Like, I actually want to uh, see... The version you was you know what, Frazier? After the podcast, I'll load, I'll load up old old PM because I have a build of it, and I'll show you uh, like everything that was crack, cracked about Meta Knight okay. uh, in that version. Uh, one thing I want to kind of uh, take some time to talk about, because I've been on a journey, as you know. I've been on my own Yu-Gi-Oh! journey. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say, when we were talking about like mindsets and like competitive nature and stuff like that, you an interesting thing I thought about like today when I was thinking about what we'll talk about on the podcast. Um, when we talked about on my first Smash episode, and you kind of even mentioned it a little bit here about like the difficulty of like playing Smash, like a melee type engine game and stuff like that, and like how you how you respect that because the level of difficulty because you know what it takes like to be like a high level competitor in like a game the the inverse for me wasn't even really that obvious because i never played Yu-Gi-Oh, but you tried to like pick up smash when you were already like you know a god of Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. now that i am playing edison format and like trying to improve at Yu-Gi-Oh, i now fully realize like what it took and like what it really is for like how good you know, you are at Yu-Gi-Oh. The game is fucking so goddamn hard, and I am so damn bad. <laughs> the game it is, is such a difficult game. I don't you actually said it perfectly I when I told play. you. I when 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 I told you, I was like, you know, I'm not even that like bad at like Hearthstone, like as far as like card games. So I feel like I can I can kind of understand card games, but I don't know why I'm like so bad at Yu-Gi-Oh. And you said it perfectly, and I just understood immediately. You were like. Well, the difference between Hearthstone and Yu-Gi-Oh is that Hearthstone is a resource-based game, and Yu-Gi-Oh, you could play all your cards if you want. Yeah, you can. You <laughs> you true. can. You can play all six cards you draw for turn, <laughs> and you can play them all incorrectly. You you can play every one card turn. turn one. That's something you, that a lot of people, like Magic players, don't like about Yu-Gi-Oh. Is like they'll talk about how. Like, they'll just, Magic, whatever, they'll talk about how just, like, in Yu-Gi-Oh, you can just do whatever you want. Yeah. And they'll talk about how that's a bad thing. And in some ways, it is a bad thing. But every, like, a lot of mechanics in any game, there's a pro and a con to it. In Yu-Gi-Oh, the fact that you can play every fucking card on turn one is a bad thing because it can be unfair. Like, how overpowering that can be. Which is where it is right now. But it's also a good thing in that 
you can have somebody play all their fucking cards and they don't know what they're doing. And now yes. they just expend it all. Whereas like Magic forces you to play slow. You can't exhaust your hand on turn one. Yeah, like Magic to me doesn't become really skill intensive until late game. Like mid mid to late games where Magic... In the beginning, you are literally building your mana pool. Like every turn yeah. you could play one land and you're just slowly building your mana pool where it gets really interesting where Magic matches come to life is when you guys both have like six to eight mana and you can do many things and so you start doing things where you play out all your mana except two because at two mana you can use a counter spell from your hand and so it's like even if you don't have a counter spell you still leave two mana up to pretend you do that way your opponent has to play around it if you tap all your mana into magic i now know you can't possibly counter me there's nothing in the game that does that so like I can just play my hand out and beat whatever you have on the field unopposed because I don't have to think about it. You can't negate anything I do. There's a lot of that, but that doesn't come until mid to late game. And Yu-Gi-Oh, you can just start the game off, especially now, and just play all your cards. The problem is <laughs> the cards are so powerful now that when you play all of them, you tend to win. Uh, whereas in Edison, <laughs> in Edison format, if you play all your cards, uh, you tend to lose. And yep. I'm a fan, I guess, of the formats where if you play your cards... Uh, recklessly, you just lose the game as opposed to winning the game. I don't like the fact that right now you're you are rewarded. I never really thought about this until I say this often, but like these conversations we have kind of make me realize certain things. But that is the problem I have with current Yu-Gi-Oh is that you are rewarded for playing all your cards. I I don't think you're that you benefit. To play all your, and currently, yes. you're supposed to play all your cards. In you draw five, and your your goal is to use all of them except your hand traps, which you know you're going to play them immediately on your opponent's turn. Like it's just it's just not very. Uh, it's just not what it used to be. It's a different game to me, and I just choose to not want to play that that different game. I'm not saying that it's it's necessarily a worse game objectively. It's just not a, a game. Different game. game. It really it's is. A, it's a, a different, different game. game. Yeah, like when you were playing Master Duel, Kenny, you know that you're not playing fucking the same thing as when we played yeah, Dungeons and Edison for that. Because the other thing is the thing with current Yu-Gi-Oh that's almost interesting in a way is that it's in a way, even though it's so much further away from Magic, and that you literally play your whole hand. It also feels closer to magic. And what I mean by that is you play your whole fucking hand immediately. But what you're doing in current Yu-Gi-Oh! is you're just like building a castle. Yes. Right? Like you on turn one, you just build a castle, and then like those are your resources. Your resources are your three negates. Your resources are, you know, yeah. the, the negates or whatever you set up on the board, and like your opponent can see them, and then like they have to go and like break into they have to tear down the walls they got to break they have to find a way to break through and then yep. set up their resources which is you know their three negates or whatever i don't know it's like it's obviously nothing like magic but what i mean is that it feels like you have no, to, I think that makes a lot to of sense. build a resource yeah in Yu-Gi-Oh and in yeah, you just do it so fast yeah because yeah, the problem is is that like modern Yu-Gi-Oh for the most part as far as i understand it cuz i'm a little bit more uh, out of the loop in that case i just kind of only know things to know the most prevalent things like the older style of resources which is like the more cards you have the more situations plays aggressive defensive things that you could do the more cards you have you can generally deal with more things and it's like the resource game now of Yu-Gi-Oh is like the more shit that you have on the board that affects what your opponent wants to do on their turn matters more than like how many fucking cards you have in your hand unless you're trying to ash something the other thing about old Yu-Gi-Oh you having more cards, it's not even just about dealing with situations, it's about playing out of situations. Like, if yeah. you get blown up, it's like, well, okay, I got blown up, but in order to blow me up, he now only has, like, he has a, a guy on board and two cards in his hand. I still have five cards in my hand. So, like, yeah. he blew me out, but I, I can come back from this. Current, Once again, current Yu-Gi-Oh! And 
this isn't whether it's bad or good, because I, I enjoy playing Master Duel, but it is truly a different game. You set up your board, and, like, if you get, if they break you, if they make that push, it's, like, you just, like, you lose. Like, there yeah. isn't really a playing back out of it. Like, if they break you down, yeah, you destroy your board and set up, like, it's just game. And if you don't break the board, you lose. And so, here's the yeah. problem. So, I was at the Philly Regional last week. Uh, there was a regional in Philly this past weekend, and the guy who ended up going undefeated stopped next to me because his friend, who I was hanging out, Sarah, shout out to her, shout out to Willie, who went undefeated at the Philly Regional this past weekend. He's playing the new Despia branded deck. And I think he stopped over around, like, round six or something, so there were still three more rounds. It was a non-round regional, pretty small for a Philly Regional, but there was raining all day, and it wasn't really advertised really well. So it was a non-round regional, and he comes around around, like, round six or seven, and I was like, oh, how are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm undefeated. I played this guy, whatever, who, like, just topped the recent YCS, and, like, I 2-0'd him, smacked him up real good. I was like, oh, nice. Um, but he told me he actually killed the guy who had 15,000 life points in one turn, and he was bragging about it. And he said, so later in the conversation, after he told me that he killed his opponent who had 15,000 life points in one turn by summoning not five, but six fusions. He had six fusions on the field because he had the extra monster zone and all five Jesus of his Christ. So he says this to me, right? And then as we're talking later in the conversation, probably like five minutes into the conversation, he goes, so you ever coming back? And <laughs> I, I stopped and I looked over at him and I said, um, no, because Did you just hear what you said. You just told me that you and he started laughing immediately. He said, "You just told I just you just told me that you killed your opponent who had 15,000 life points by summoning not one, not two, not five, but six fusion monsters in one turn from nothing and you killed him from 15k. You told me that. You sat here and you told me that. And then you proceeded to ask me 5 minutes later cuz you forgot if I was going to come back to this game, the answer is it's not that he forgot. Now. It's he's he's numb it's, to it. He, yeah, he's fucking absurd. he's fucking numb. I he you know he could have blatantly just said like instead of telling you this whole big story about how he killed them at fifteen hundred, he could have just looked you in the eye and said, "Yeah, you're not safe at fifteen hundred life points anymore. Yeah, you want to come back?" Thing, that's what makes it <laughs> such a different game, right? Think about this: if you're there's not really the interaction of the player, like if my turn is I summon six monsters and have 1500 life on your turn, you're not really, you're not playing against me anymore. Like I have my thing set up now. You just have to get through it. And then if you're able to get rid of six monsters on the board and 1500 life, like 15, uh, it's just a different 15,000. Yeah. It's just a different game. Like it is just not the same game. Yeah. It's like, so that's he's fine, that but yeah, like if that's what you like. But my thing is that there is not much in the way of coming back from situations. I also watched another round. I just wanted to confirm something for myself when I went to the Philly Regional. I watched very little modern Yu-Gi-Oh! But I watched enough to confirm that what I thought was true is true. I watched Ned Salkovich play. He's also playing Despia Brandon. He's playing his opponent who I think was playing a, a mix of Tri-Brigade and Despia Branded or something like that. Uh, essentially, they were playing the same deck. And game one, Nat won a die roll, and he won because he set up a board that his opponent couldn't break, and his opponent immediately scooped. Then game two, the guy set up a board, Nat couldn't break it, and Nat scooped immediately as well. And then game three, Nat went first again, he set up a board, his opponent couldn't break it, and then he won again. So I saw that, and then I had the guy who went undefeated tell me how he won one of his games, and pretty much how he'd been playing the whole tournament, just like, scraping everybody. And I was like, this does not sound like what I want to do with my time. Like, I am just not a fan of how volatile these games are. Uh, a lot of times what I'm seeing is that the best player is actually not 
winning or doing well at these events. And that really, uh, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh's always had somewhat of that to a degree, right? Like there's definitely been periods where complete randoms are winning events, but I am not a fan of that. I don't like the idea of a format where, you know, anyone who's not that skilled can just win. That's not good. Like that is just to a competitive player, people who didn't put the time in and still do well, or even God forbid, win the event. I'm not a fan. I, I, I don't care how people feel about that. I'm just not a fan of that at all. Uh, I don't want people to carry it. In the older formats, when somebody completely random would win, a lot of th- at the end of the day, and this is just the nature of card games, there is RNG evolved. Like some, yes. I can beat Frazier if just like if Frazier really just draws nothing, I can just beat him, right? Yeah. Like there's like and, anybody else, and yeah. So that, but with current Yu-Gi-Oh, the way it works is like if I win, if if I win the coin flip, if I win the die roll, I can just set a board up, and it's like it. If you you don't, don't matter. You, yeah, the person, like, how good you we're are. We're not playing. Yes. You could have done, honestly, a lot of the games that I've watched, their opponent didn't need to be there. Yeah, a lot of current, and once again, I, you know, because I don't want anybody to think I'm hating on it. Like, I do think it, it's got its own merit. I truly enjoy playing it on Master Duel, but it is a different game. I very rarely feel like I'm playing my opponent. The only thing you need to know is, like, What's the one key card that I have to negate? Like you yeah. just like gotta know where to use your, your negates, and so it's not about me playing Fraser. It's not like That's, oh, Fraser. Uh, Fraser uses this card in a unique way. There's yeah, no that, unique way to you do it. Yeah, I just negate that awesome. card. Yeah. I I that's what I really really think is probably one of the worst things about modern Yu-Gi-Oh is that it's like there's no nuance of like how I'm gonna use use this card or summon this monster. Yeah. It's just like if that if if that effect goes off and it's too much. Then it, it has like to every get time someone plays Fusion Destiny, it's getting Ash Blossomed. Yes, that card is never not resolving. Ash. It if is. It, it's it only is resolving if I have nothing and I'm I'm gonna have to scoop anyway. Right, it is resolving. getting Ash Blossomed a hundred percent of the time. Ash Blossom is in my hand. It's just getting Ash Blossomed every time. There's no question. The other thing is like you don't get you can't pro heavy in modern Yu-Gi-Oh. You know what I mean? Like, and what right. I mean, I'm not saying literally heavy storm, but there's not an, really an opportunity to do those types of plays where yes. you can use heavy storm in arguably a bad way. Like a lot of times pro heavy isn't the smartest play to do, yeah. but when you do do it, it's such a big swing, right? But so, you can't really do that. Anymore. There's a, there's another thing too. Like you, you bring up pro heavy and maybe think of a lot of other things. So in Edison format, just for example, this is just one format, but it's a very popular one right now, as you know. There's a lot of things to play around. A lot of things to take into consideration. There's Gores, there's Torrential Tribute, and there's Mirror Force. These are, the, these are the big three that I can think of right now. The fear of Mirror Force makes people put monsters in defense mode. The fear of Torrential makes people not summon a monster when they have a monster that they could summon. The fear of Gores makes people not attack with their highest monster. All of these things contribute to the game going longer. And it contributes to people making reads and people managing their resources and saying, I can afford a torrential right now. I can afford getting hit by mirror force right now. I can afford you to drop gores right now. You have to play based on like what you can leverage with what you have and what happens if they do have this problematic ass cart. And I love that about the game. Like, can you afford to get torrential right here? If not, then like you should not be playing into it. But the fact that you can, you can play into a torrential though. And I might not have it. And 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 the thing, and the thing that's even more beautiful about that, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I think I think it's like a pretty important thing to note, is that there's also a level to it as well where you can make a miscalculation of that, where it's like, oh, I can afford a mirror force, 
But you can't. when the game plays out the way it's going to play out, right. you're actually just wrong. And that's like another skill testing thing on top of it is like, all right, I'm playing around Mirror Force. I don't need to play around Mirror Force anymore. But you also could just be wrong. Like, yes, you. Yeah. And it's important to know when you should be going for it, even if they do end up having it, it was still correct to go for it. And like that type of knowledge, like that, knowing you made the read and you thought like, okay, he if he has it, it's fine. I'm not out the game, but if he doesn't have it, I just win the game. Like knowing that too is also important. Uh, my first week of playing Edison, I summoned the Stardust Dragon. I had something else on the field too. And I attacked my opponent directly with Stardust Dragon and he dropped Gorus and I lost immediately. Like the game went downhill <laughs> for me. And this is my first week. I haven't played Yu-Gi-Oh in five years. This is like my first week back and I forgot just how ridiculous Gorus was as a card. Like I, it just obviously, not only have I not played Yu-Gi-Oh in five years, but in the last five years of me playing, Gorus he, wasn't was, he wasn't even playable. So it was like, there's probably 10 years of no Gores knowledge in my, you know what I mean? It was like a 10 year gap of Gores. And so when I got Gores on a Stardust attacking directly, it immediately came back to me in that moment. That I was like, oh God, this was so bad back in the day. Like whenever somebody <laughs> attacked me with a Stardust directly and I dropped yes. Gores and I got you, a 25 you would be token, licking, You would be licking your fucking lips. I'd be like, oh, you just fucked up so, so bad. <laughs> like you just made possibly one of the worst plays you could ever make. So like, that type of knowledge and playing now I now I know like you will never see me do that in medicine format now like and I, I have to have a really good re- I have to have mirror force basically for me to do that so there's just certain things that like you know the game is so much slower because of fear because if I don't attack you for that 25 even if he doesn't have gores I'm so afraid to attack that it's going to extend the game now he gets chances to draw out of it but yep. because of all the negates that you have in modern you get because of the how powerful the fucking cards are they're so powerful it's like well, there is no gores like cards in current Yu-Gi-Oh anyway. Like Nibiru is probably the closest type of monster, maybe, but yeah. he comes down during main phase. There's no battle phase needed for him. Uh, he doesn't really extend the game either. People are either going to summon their five monsters or they're not. <laughs> like there isn't and then the adventure package also just makes them not a thing. That's the other thing. The adventure package just makes it where you can't even summon Nibiru. That's the, that's kind of the reason why that package came out in the first place, is that it trivialized Nibiru, which was Nibiru kind of kept the game in balance a little bit. Like, it was like, okay, if you summon too many times, I Nibiru, you lose your whole field. Now, the adventure package, which is like the most popular splashed package in the game, it makes it where I can just negate that and continue. So, yeah, it's I, just not a good spot. That, that is wild to me. Negating, I actually didn't even know that. Yeah, negating is too much. I just think that every monster shouldn't be a trap. Like, every monster does not need to be a trap. It's actually so interesting when you're playing Edison, how the monsters outside of Heraklinos and Stardust Dragon and Titanial. I think those are the three. Those are the three main ones. Uh, there are no monsters that really act as negates or traps. Like it, It's really hard to put up a monster that stops your opponent from doing something. Like If yeah. I put a Colossal Fighter, it doesn't stop you from doing anything. Even Thought Ruler doesn't stop you from doing anything. Like Red Dragon, all these other monsters, Brionic, they don't stop you from doing anything. Just like they have effects, and their effects typically only apply on the user's turn, and that's it. But like Monsters in Yu-Gi-Oh, they got to a point where they're all trap monsters. So they play on my turn and your turn. When I say pass, my monster does something on your turn. And yep. it doesn't do a little bit of something. It does a lot of bit of something. Yeah, so that's Bri- kind of issue. modern Brionic would be on either player's turn. I can discard yes. a card and bounce a, bounce a card on, on the field. Yes, that is modern Brionic. Modern Brionic would do exactly what you just said, but it would also be a fucking four-star monster that you can normal summon. A <laughs> <laughs> four-star monster. <laughs> Don't be saying that. Yeah, it would be an eighteen hundred monster, 
That yep. says during even player's turn, you can discard a card to bounce a card on the Oh, field. you know what? And a cherry on top, it would also be like uh, a good type. Like it would yeah, be oh. like a warrior or something, yeah, or it'd be it like be a wing beast. And also it would be a dark. It would be dark, it would be searchable, it would be everything that it needs to be. And we're probably talking about a card that actually exists, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like we're, we're, the effect we're saying is not crack. It's just like this is very there's a monster right now called Albaz. I'm pretty sure it's Albaz, and he just fuses with your opponent's monsters. He's super popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That card's that card is ridiculous. Yes, and he's played in the best deck, I think. So like there is a fucking super poly walking right now. A walking so, so super poly with legs. Yeah. Um to double back to what I was saying, um, but yeah, that's the difficulty the, of how like being good at Yu-Gi-Oh requires. Yeah, I just like I I get I like get it now. Like I I've really been trying like uh, with you know trying to improve and like get us in format and play Yu-Gi-Oh and it's like a really really difficult game. So like it's just yeah, the uh, more you play it, the more you'll realize it's one of those things where at the surface, right when you first start playing it, you say, "Oh, okay, I see what you do now. I see what this game is." Yeah. But the more you learn, the more you realize the bigger picture. You're like, holy shit. This yeah, is it's just like so yeah. much. It it really makes me uh feel like uh, the same way when I was learn when I was learning melee. It's like when I when I try to go for something or I try to fight fight someone that's better than me, like when I try to do something in Yu-Gi-Oh! and it's like the incorrect play. Mm-hmm. Uh I just love the way that you put it is like Yu-Gi-Oh! will make sure you know that you misplayed <laughs> because what you did went wrong and then the, then the worst possible thing is going to happen afterwards yeah right, you immediately punishes so fast and it, the punish game of Yu-Gi-Oh is actually crazy <laughs> yes Yu-Gi-Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh is the Donkey so Kong quick. of Yu-Gi-Oh is the Donkey Kong of competitive games it, puni- it punishes I'll say like oh well you should have discarded that Raikou because like it's game two and three and it could have Vanity's Fiend what happened on the very next fucking turn this fucking guy uh, sh- Yes. A fucking guy summoned Vanity Scene, and my deck literally had zero outs. I was like, you shouldn't have discarded that, Raiko. And mind you, we were playing, it was like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or something at night, and me and you were just up playing. Everyone else had, like, got off of Discord. It was just me and you. I was literally mm-hmm. laying on my side with my laptop in front of me because I love Yu-Gi-Oh! so much. I was mm-hmm. like, I should be going to sleep because I think it was Sunday night. And, like, I was like, I have to work. Yeah, it was work time. Yeah, I feel like it was like, I need to work in the morning, but I want to just watch, you know, my apprentice play some Yu-Gi-Oh! I watched you play a lot of games, and, like, I would call, like, misplays when I felt like it. And on that particular one, you had options to discard, like, Foolish Burial, Raiko, and, like, some other cards. And I was like, yeah, you should have discarded Foolish Burial, it doesn't do anything right here. And you definitely don't discard Raiko in games two and three when your opponent can just drop a Vanity Fiend. This motherfucker immediately dropped a Vanity Fiend. I just thought that was so ridiculous. And then yes. you lost. And it was like, yeah, that's that's how you Yu-Gi-Oh teaches you. Like, all right, well, don't do that again. It's just it's just so funny too, because it's just like it's been so long since I felt so um so foolish for like doing something <laughs> incorrectly. Like in, in Melee and Smash, like it was all just about refining like what I'm good at now. Yeah. And it's like Yu-Gi-Oh, like I literally just feel day one in everything that I do. Like I'm like it's just like I'm not confident in what I need to do. I, I always need to triple and triple and uh you know second and triple guess myself and what i want to do and i'm just like damn this is it's like it's like exciting at the same time but it's also super frustrating because it's just like damn i I told you before i was just like you know i draw well and like sometimes i play well i feel like i would be such a great player if i could just play well all the time but it's just like so difficult every hand that you draw for the most part i want to play it like I want to play now. This is not to say that I don't also draw well because I mean you guys know me now. Like I, I am pretty lucky. Also, like I'm a pretty lucky player. I can't even lie. But like yeah. 
I, some of the hands that you guys get when I'm watching, I just want them so bad. Like, I just want to play <laughs> that hand because it's like a fun hand to play. And the way the games evolve looks so fun. But, you know, it is what it is. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh, there's a lot to learn. Even I'm still learning stuff. Like, I'm still, because new edit Edison, as I call it, new Edison, like, there's still stuff to learn. Like, a lot of my Yu-Gi-Oh knowledge from the past is carrying me. And most of my, like, when I play in my locals, you know, I win most of my matches, right? And that is from just me playing so much Yu-Gi-Oh. But I still learn shit. Like, I'm still learning things like, okay, if you're playing against a deck that plays Ryza, don't even bother setting fucking your Dust Tornado. Just keep that shit in your hand. Because you, you'd you rather they go, uh, if they go, like, brand control and they have to tribute your monster, then, like, there's nothing on the field for you to Ryza. But if I set that Dust Tornado with my Raikou and you go, like, Soul Exchange it and then Ryza my Dust Tornado, I'm in a bad spot. So, like, you start to learn little tiny things like that. Like, don't put yourself in a position to get Ryza if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Um, just and that's just like one little thing that just happened to me last week. And like, I already kind of knew that, but it reinforced it when it happened to me. And my rise, my industrial got rise. And I was like, okay, yeah, uh, that just didn't feel good. And I was like, all right, so yeah, next time I'm not even going to be setting this against this deck. I knew he was playing this deck already. I knew worst case scenario was Soul Exchange Ryza, and that's exactly what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, it's unfortunate that it happened, but he could play three of both of those cards, so it's not crazy, right? And even if it was Caius, I'd rather like. You know, I don't even want my Dustin to get Kaius. If if I have one monster in the field and you have to go soul exchange, you can't even summon a monarch. There's no monarch you can summon that they play. You know, they don't play Dustalo. So there's no monsters that you can summon off the soul exchange that I'm going to be sick about, except like Ryza and Kaius. And I have to play into those. I, like, you have to play into monarchs. I always say this monarchs don't do anything on their own. So, like, the only monarch, and this is the reason why he's actually my favorite monarch, is Dustalos. The only monarch that, like, you can't really hide from him is Dustalos. Yeah. You have to be able to play. You have to be able to put all your cards on the field, and I don't think that that's a good idea. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> he's the only one that you can really like. He's the only one that makes it where I'm going to do something. If you try to not play into it, I'm going to punish you for trying to not play into it. Which is why it's really good to play both the Stalos and the other Monarchs because people try to play around the other Monarchs by not coming into the field, and the Stalos comes around. It's like, oh, take your Miracle Fusion. He's like, fuck. Uh, yep, but yeah, that's just me getting really sp- specific of how Yu-Gi-Oh has so many little tiny interactions, like these micro micro interactions that matter so so much, and they really impact the entire game. Like the little tiny things you do. Okay, I saw last week in my local, and we're going to start to wrap up here. Uh, a guy has three heroes on a field, and he goes Miracle Fusion to summon a fourth hero. He summons Gaia. Because the guy had a Spirit Reaper and a face-down monster. So his opponent has Spirit Reaper face-up in defense and a face-down monster no back row. Okay? Spirit Reaper in defense mode, face-down monster, no back row. And the guy who I'm watching play has three heroes. The heroes are Elemental Hero Ocean, Stratos, and Alias. He goes Miracle Fusion. He fuses his Graveyard Barbaros and his Graveyard something else to summon Elemental Hero Gaia. Gaia targets Spirit Reaper to kill it. So now the guy just has a face-down monster and nothing else. There are four heroes and a face-down monster on the opponent's side of the field, and that's it. Four heroes against the face-down monster. He goes, alias attack face-down. It is Snowman Eater. Snowman Eater pops Gaia, and now he has to end his battle phase. And I said to him, wow, that was a pretty huge fuck-up because the difference between alias and Gaia was literally a few hundred life points. So you... Instead of attacking with your highest, so uh, essentially the rule here that I taught him was in Edison format, I don't know if this is true in other formats, but in Edison format, use your biggest monster to attack face down monsters. Like, it's not worth it for you were going to do an extra 300 with Gaia if it attacked directly. But now, because Gaia was the only monster that could be the Snowman Eater, 
you have to end your entire battle phase. You lost that on 18, 15, and 1900 damage. Like, that's how much damage you would have done. Because he, you know, if, if, if Gaia attacked face down, his choices were, do you want to pop one of my three little monsters so that you save, like, a little bit of damage, or do you want to pop the Gaia? Also, he, even, yeah. if it was, even if it was Raikou, like, now Still, the, Raikou, the Raikou has to choose to, to not destroy Gaia. Yes. And that's the position you always want your opponent to be in. You don't want them to be in a position where, like, you know that they're going to pop the monster that you want to keep. Like, I attack, for example, if I'm playing the dragons, I attack with Red-Eyes Darkness Metal a lot of the time face down. Because I want it to be Raikou, and I want you to have to choose, let's say, Blue-Eyes, or whatever else the dragon has yep. next to you can, you can ignore 3,000 3, damage, and that Blue-Eyes is coming right back. Yes, so I turn. want you to pop that and not... But if you, but if you do pop Red-Eyes, I want you to pay for it with 3,000 direct. So I attack with red eyes. I want you to pay for it. So I'm going to attack you with red eyes on your face down with Raikou. And you have a decision to make. Do I take 3k or do I pop, you know, or do I pop the uh, the blue eyes and not take 3k? But then I have the problem of next turn, if I don't give it a red eyes, fucking blue eyes is coming right back. I like making the decision really hard for people. And you do that by attacking with problematic monsters on the face down monster. You just attack with something very problematic. And so in that case, his big monster was problematic. And he should have attacked with that first. Like, again, like Kenny said, even if it was Raikou, even if he didn't have the read that is Snowman Eater, like, even if you don't know a Snowman Eater and you think, like, oh, it's just Raikou, you should still be attacking what I think with the biggest monster because you don't want them to pop the biggest monster. And if they do, you want them to pay for it. If you pop my Gaia, I attack with three heroes directly. If you don't pop Gaia, then, you know, sure, you only take two of the heroes directly and Gaia lives, though. And I want Gaia to live. He's huge. I want Gaia to live. And so, also, if you think about it, even an, an additional layer, let's just say their decision, let's just say they fucking do something dumb and they don't pop the Gaia, right? It's like, even if it's an open board and they drop Gores on the 1900, like, he, he can't, he can't, like, he can't, like, trade trade for free with, like, the token over Gaia. Like, he yeah. has to throw that Gores attack there. Yeah, and like, the other he, thing, he, was, go ahead. Uh, just in general, like, he just can't make, like, the most value-based, like... Mo yeah, monster Gors, battle like beatovers. Yeah, Gores wasn't even that good in that situation because of how much card advantage the hero player had. Like he had again Ocean, Stratos, Alias. So the guy's gonna attack lowest to highest directly. So if you do drop Gores on 1900, you've taken all of these attacks though. That's a lot of fucking yeah. damage to get a big token. And like your 1900 token isn't even that good. But the scarier part, and this is to add more context to the situation, is that this game, because of Spirit Bird, it had stalled out for so long that at some point the hero player drew Captain Gold, discarded, and had Skyscraper in his hand. So, like, Gores literally wasn't even a factor where the game yeah, was. That, and that's why I just narrowed the game down to just Spirit Burn Defense, a face-down monster against three heroes, and then a Miracle Fusion for a Gaia to get from four monsters total against these two monsters that Spirit Burn got popped immediately, and he attacks face-down with Alias, and he's forced to pass his entire battle phase. And he almost ends up losing the game because of this one little thing, and I saw all of that for 300 life points. Because that's the difference. The Gaia being 22 and Alias being 19, I was like, all that for 300. He, he said, damn, you're right. Yeah, it's it, and that's funny too, because there's been many lessons you showed me in that, in Yu-Gi-Oh!, where it's like, all this for this outcome that you want it. And I'm like, yeah. it's so it, it it's it's so hard um, for me, like, learning, and, like, this is why it's fun to, to, to learn it, is that it's so hard for me to see these things in the moment, because I just feel the pressure of just, like, just trying to do the right choice and like trying to learn learn the right choice. Yeah, it's not it's and not easy. Yeah. It's just it funny because you you see it so snap fast and I'm yes, just like it's sitting there. So quick how fast I see the like a lot of times to me 
I don't even realize that there's another play to make. And you yeah, realize, like I <laughs> how often do I say, I don't even see another play? Like you'll be looking yeah. at your hand, you'll be like, I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking this, and then I won't say anything. And then when I do say something, I'll be like, I don't like you'll make a play, and I'll be like, I didn't even see anything else. Like I didn't even <laughs> see another play was possible. Like whatever you even saw, I don't even know it existed. Yeah. And that's just like uh that that's something kind of uh crazy for me but it's relatable in that sense now because i understand it from playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. it's very similar to like smash in terms of like if someone wants to punish a certain way or like they take somebody to like a, a weird counter pick where i'm just like i can't even believe that you thought this was like <laughs> in the realm of what you wanted to do and it's just it's just the same exact shit so i'm just like on the other end of the stick again yeah it's, <laughs> you're you have a lot to learn but i mean that's part of the journey it's really fun that way yeah, uh, I do want to wrap this up. So before we get out of here, let me give a shout out to our patrons over at Patreon. There are 38 of you. So bear with me as I read out the names of our 38 patrons. Hell like yeah. Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Silver Chronic, Tyree Tinsley, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Game for Yoshi, Alex Flamer, Game Marini, Omri Reynolds, CJ, Dubkdat1, Saw at Dabbers Gaming Cafe, Dan Verable, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, Scott Page, Red Vines, First to Home, Dalis Fernares, Tom Wadabiki, S. Akuma, Mitchell Niles, Midwest Gaming, William Shapiro, Dimitri Sofiridis, Chips, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, KJ, and last but not least, Doc and Ziggy. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate it. As we say, it goes a long way. Uh, I also want to mention the roadmap for the I Am There podcast. So coming up, we had a lot of things that we were going to talk about today. If you're watching this on Patreon, you see that we have a background of House of the Dragon with a little rant on it. Uh, I wanted to talk about the House of the Dragon trailer that dropped a couple days ago. I want to talk about the fact that someone tackled Dave Chappelle uh, and they got their fucking ass absolutely whipped. Yes. Uh, more Edison conversation. We also have a listener letter about our episode 69, Hentai in Class. So there are a couple things that we are going to be talking about, I guess, on our next episode that will be dropping Monday uh, for the Sunday night recording. Um, and then we also just have other things we still want to do. We have um, another food episode, food talk that we want to do, like ranking fast food. Uh, there's also Philly is getting a Canes tomorrow on Thursday. So when you guys are hearing this, it'll be the day that Canes goes live in Philly. And it's like a chicken spot. Uh, it's really famous down south. A lot of people swear by it, but that's coming up. So I'm going to have Canes hopefully before we do our next food podcast. I had it once in my life, but I forget how good it was. I do remember it being good. I just don't remember exactly like how good. So there's like all types of shit we still have planned coming down the pipeline. Um, but yeah, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Stango and just talking about Smash and also just a competitive mindset, right? Like if even if you don't really understand Smash too well, like Smash Bros, uh, I hope that you at least understood just the mindset of a competitive player and what it takes to compete at a high level and just learn some things about resetting yourself and always knowing that you can learn. Like, like I said, even with me, I, I have accomplished a lot in Yu-Gi-Oh, but I never take it for granted. I never think that there's nothing for me to learn. I never tell people that, you know, that doesn't matter to me what you're saying. Um, because if I, if I feel like I can learn something from anybody, then, you know, I, I will take it. I take all the information. I kind of just makes me better overall. And I want to always be better. I hate losing. So if you hate losing, you're going to do everything you can uh, within your means to, to stop yourself yeah, from losing. There's even little things that you can just learn through conversation. Like even in this episode, there was, I don't remember what it was, but we were talking about something and it made you realize something about yourself that you didn't realize that you liked about like yeah. Edison format. Right. Like there's yeah. always little things that you can learn. And like that, that'll, 
after you learn it, it'll for set forever shift your perspective, and that's going to affect thought processes and things that you do in the future. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but as I always say, do the things that make you happy, and that's episode 71. So long, gay Bowser. And then the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.